Welcome back, everybody, to the Nethercast. And uh, today we are going to be talking about some more Mortal Kombat memories. If you haven't seen parts one and two, or listened to them rather, uh, they are in the archive where we covered the first four Mortal Kombat games as well as Deadly Alliance and Deception. So this time we are going to be picking up from there, starting off with some Shaolin monks. Who wants to go first? Is it Razor? Is it Chad? Or is I'll it Tim? I'll Rochambeau you for it, mate. <laughs> you can go first if you like. I don't know. You know what? Yeah, you know what? Fine. I usually don't do these things. The goal, these going first things, but <laughs> for this time, yeah, I think I will. Okay. So the thing about Shaolin Monks, um, I remember the build-up to it quite well. Uh, everyone on the MK Online forum, or Mortal Kombat... No, it, it, yeah, it was Mortal Kombat Online by this point. It wasn't MK5.org anymore, obviously. Yeah, it, it stopped being MK5.org when MK6 came out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, we, we had such hype for this game. When I say that, it sounds like I'm building up to disappointment. This is usually the case here, but I'm I'm not here. I promise. But I remember the hype very well because the the big promise, right, was this is going to be Mortal Kombat Four, Mortal Kombat Two story expanded. And it's going to be, yeah. you're going to live through. You're going to you're going to experience the whole whole thing. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're remaking MK Two, and we're sticking to the story, but we're showing all of it. You know. Yeah, it was going to be amazing. Like. These simple little character intros and bios and endings. We and hired a comic call. book writer because comic book writers are continuity experts. <laughs> you know, in retrospect, it is so hilarious. You know, we had so much expectation because was it really that much to ask for? It's not like MK2 is a huge story. There are just, you know, some beats that happen. And not everyone's a main character. Not everyone has to be a main character. Now, before I continue in that vein, I will say this. My biggest memory, my most fun memory of Shaolin Monks was just exploring it. And I think that today, that is probably Shaolin Monks' greatest legacy to us, like, lore heads out there, at least. Like, it was not just about the fun and, like, the replayability, of which there is so damned much to that game. But to be able to experience Outworld like that was night it was like nothing else like you know we played mythologies and that was nice and it was nice to you know, be, be places in the mk world that weren't just you know single screens from a fighting game but man just walking through places like you know the pit at the beginning and seeing the bit of wushi academy we did going through the living forest seeing all these portals inter interconnected in the portal areas they really did justice to each and every stage. And that was the number one reason that I kept coming back, replaying it over and over again, was just the atmosphere. When I think of Outworld, I think of Shaolin Monks' take on Outworld. I don't think it's ever been done justice quite like that ever since. Shaolin Monks was like the last time... I really felt like I was in the old school Mortal Kombat world completely. To a certain extent, Armageddon too, but Shaolin Monks just bled that thing you wanted out of Outworld. 
and the gameplay was amazing. The combo system was so much fun. The toasty, like, combo stuff was fun. Just hit and start, getting points. The boss interactables were fun. The graphics are, you know, of their time. They were blocky even then, but, you know, it was just, it felt more like a stylistic choice than anything else. Everything about that game was amazing. Except the story. Except the story. When the only person that dies in MK2 is the only bad guy to actually survive. The only one who doesn't die. <laughs> Something went kind of wrong there, didn't it? Just a little bit. But we've probably discussed its failings story-wise at length anywhere. Like, it's, it, in other places, I know we have. But it's just really remarkable how dumb Liu Kang and Kung Lao come across. It's so hilarious. Like, uh, just the, the, the backpedaling over the plot, like, almost, like, it seems like it was on purpose. Like, Shao Kahn screaming, your presence here is unwanted and uninvited, when that was the whole prospect behind MK2, is that they... they, they, they they, they were them inviting to them to a tournament. You, yeah, you, you, were, you were invited. It was wanted. That's the Come only thing that you had to get right. <laughs> you had one job, man. One job. But all that, but like all that dumb story stuff aside, like you know, you know what? There's even fun in the stupidity. Just how boneheadedly dumb our Shaolin monk heroes are going in. It's it's a thing to witness. And, of course, you know, the classic moment of uh, Baraka impaling a Shaolin monk in the chest and in the head and fling his, burning him and flinging his body and Kung Lao checks to see if he's okay. And Christ, oh, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. But, you know, it was, it was just such a gift that kept on giving, you know, just, just the atmosphere alone. It was so much fun. It's such a treat to play. Some funny little cameos like... Uh, Cabal with a goatee pinch for the first and only time. Weirdly enough, fighting Goro, who felt like he had to swing a giant piece of wood at you. Or marble. Jean yeah, yeah, Mo most of his moves were based around spinning with a pillar in his arms. <laughs> it's like, hey, isn't that guy actually supposed to be dead and like, or presumed dead right now? Okay, now nah, here he is, never mind. Yeah. Still, still lots of fun. Just getting to explore that world, like actually encountering shadow priests and Oni and feeling like you're in the world of Mortal Kombat. And that Ermac fight in the Wuxi Academy. Him showing up like in a substitute area for Shang Tsung's uh, Hall of Champions, kind of. Just this whole big thank you and love letter to the EGM rumor acknowledging it. It was, was a nice like, touch. That game gave us so much, and I still and like the the ambient soundtrack that ramped up when you fought like when you fought enemies and oh, it was so much fun. And fighting reptile with his giant snake, like I love every single thing about Shaolin monks, except the story, which I appreciate on its own very silly terms. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that long after that that um. There was an MKO fight night, you know, fight nights for, for any new listeners. 
in the old days, Fight Nights on Mortal Kombat Online, where we talked to the developers via like IRC, pretty much look whatever that is up. Yeah, we got we got to do Q and A's with uh, guys like John Vogel. Yeah, and uh, who else was usually in there? I don't know if Ed was often in them, but um, Vogel was usually in there. I think Baron was in there. Yeah, I think he was there as well. I, I think, think Ed showed up maybe once for a very brief spell. Yeah, I, I, I think remember that, was that. Yeah. But yeah, shortly after the game came out, everyone was like, what is going on with this game's story? And I think it was Ed himself who went, uh, just look at it as a what-if scenario. Yeah, yeah, there were two or three different fight nights when Shaolin Monks came out, and the first two, uh, they insisted that it was meant to be canon, and that fata- the fatalities in the story aren't canon. But... The story, like, when you get to the boss fight with Shang Tsung, the dialogue Shang and Shao Kahn have literally tells you that they've been manipulating you into killing everybody you've run into so that Shang can steal their souls. So the fatalities have to be canon. Oh, bless them. By the last fight night, they finally were like, okay, yes, it's not canon. The game isn't (laughs) a real remake of MK2. It was just for fun. I think Vogel's exact words were back when the original Fight Night happened was uh, watching all the bad guys run away at the end would not have made for a good ending. Yeah. That was his excuse. Oh, bless them. They tried so hard. You know, it's 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 another case of like Mortal Kombat's reputation for gore and death kind of overwhelming story and plot perspectives. It's what you have to. That's another conversation. What you have to take into account is that Shaolin Monks was outsourced. So they didn't have a whole lot of... I don't know if they knew what the story was going to be in the game until the game came out. (laughs) I think they were caught by surprise as much as we were. (laughs) Poor guys. Uh, but But for that one weakness, everything around it, I can't complain. I still listen to the music on a regular basis. Some really excellent reworkings of some old themes in there. And, yeah. One I wouldn't give to be able to play that on like a modern date console. Yeah. I have nothing but fond memories about Shaolin Monks. Alongside a slight bit of confusion. And like one other thing I'm recalling is that there there was this whole versus mode that was in the game that wasn't found until way later. Oh yeah. And, like the, there was the some really involved get into it. The way you get into it is so esoteric and complicated that I'm surprised anyone ever discovered it because you have to like run around the the armory stage with an axe and strike (laughs) the ground at specific spots on the ground in a specific order it's so complicated hard it was tough (laughs) that was like one of the last real huge MK secrets I think it was worth it. Yeah, you you got Definitely. into like a like a 10 fight long boss rush mode if you did it right. That was good stuff. So Shad, like back in 2000, 2000- oh, what's up? I was just there are like fight arenas in the boss rush mode that appear nowhere else in the game. They were made just for boss rush mode. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that like really wants to make you believe it in them now when they're like, "Oh, there's still a huge secret in the game that no one has, has ever found." I want to believe to this day because of stuff like that. Well, I was going to say back in 2005, 
like, what did you think of the first? It's not even a redesign. It's the first like design, non-palette swap version of smoke we ever got. Human smoke, that is. What did you think? Oh, of I was in love with it. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. I mean, I was of course a bit miffed that like smoke was the only like one of like him and Noob Saibot basically were like the only two people out of that game. Okay, well, and 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 Cabal, I guess that you had no fighting interaction with whatsoever. You couldn't fight them. But I do appreciate his role as kind of the keeper of the game's secrets. And his visual the, design The was legend so remains. Good. There's there's always been a rumor that it was just unfinished and that it, there was going to be like one last uh, smoke hint for you to complete that would give you a, a fight against him. Because there's this weird thing in his room of the living forest where there's a tree that can eat enemies, but there's no enemies to feed it. And there's like a there's like a spot where a portal to the pit two opens when you when you complete all five hints. But there's like more empty space, like it's a very large area and doesn't need to be. So it's like there may have been plans for a sixth hint in a smoke boss fight. Oh. And they just didn't finish it. Ah. Oh. Like I can totally believe it. They always run out of time. We've known this going back to the early days. They never, ever have enough time to do everything that they want in in, in a game cycle. Yeah. That's, that's a very common game development story. But uh, yeah, Temp, I was totally in love with that design. Completely. I liked it a lot as well. I thought it was good. I still think it's Smoke's best costume, Human Smoke. It's up there. I think that's the best look he's ever had, because I'm not a fan of the ones in Nine. I would, I would flip, like, he has, like, a black uh, Ninja V with silver trim. I'd flip it to, like, silver with black trim. That's the, That's only the thing one thing that really... bugged me, yeah. I agree completely. How do you feel about sleeves? I like smoke with sleeves. I mean, if, if you see my fan art, my smoke has sleeves. Although, I made his pants and shirt baggy because I like the idea of it, like, billowing in the breeze, like, flapping in the wind and stuff. I think that would I fit both, as a like, airy smoke guy, you know, like cloudy looking. Like his clothes should be as cloudy as like like Deception Smoke's skin is, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think arguments either direction for MK9 costume, I think the hair is really important. I really feel like smoke from forever and forward should have long hair. I, I feel well, like Yeah, I mean, on my version, I, I added a ponytail sticking out of his ninja cowl so that you yeah, still that see the ninja. hair. Long hair all the way. It had just enough deception in it too. There was like the deception mask frame there too. That looks yeah, great. yeah. He's got like he's got like kind of a a ninja crown head protector kind of thing, like a uh, Ryu Hayabusa. It's visually reminiscent of the MK3 Trident in a way. It's actually really subtle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's me. I have really nothing more to add aside from the fact that um, I really love that fight. The, the fight against Inferno Scorpion where he just <laughs> won't die and he keeps coming back. Yeah. You know, while it has that feeling of Ed just has to get that other moment in for his favorite character. He just has Scorpion. to make him more of a badass. Scorpion is the longest boss fight in the game. Shao Kahn only has two phases and Scorpion has three. <laughs> you know that was that like okay but make him harder bring him back give him another <laughs> kick-ass form i don't know how i feel about scorpion cursing 
because there's a couple of get over here bitches and get the fuck over here if well, you like the, steer you often enough. The the percentage chance that you'd hear the like get over here bitch or get the fuck over here is so rare it's that low. It, it it counts as like an Easter egg to me. Pretty much. I don't think it's like in character, but it's like a cutesy little thing because it's like the first time there's ever been swearing in an MK game. Yeah, I've never heard it before. I didn't know about that. It's out there. It's in. It's in there. I'm sure you can find. Yeah, it. yeah. I'm sure someone's got the file, audio files ripped. But um, I just wanted to say that as 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 self indulgent for Ed as I know that whole three stage scorpion fight is, every bit of it was a lot of fun. And it was the first time we actually get to see Scorpion swinging his spear around and kicking it and doing crazy stuff like that. And it was such a ride. It was worth every single moment. And I had so much fun. And there is not a soul among us who didn't laugh their ass off at the Terminator 2 reference when he sinks into the lava at the end and gives a thumbs up. Yeah. So much goodness. So much goodness in that game. That's me. I'm done. All right. I might as well go next. Um... So the thing about me, and I've probably mentioned this on the show before, it's been eight years, we've said a lot of things, but um, I, you know, I'm not really a fighting game guy. Like, I, I play fighting games because I love the martial arts, but I'm not a competitive person. I don't like playing against other people. I like co-op games and single-player games. So in my heart of hearts, like, I'm a beat-em-up guy. So Shaolin Monks is, on a lot of levels, my favorite Mortal Kombat game of all time. Like... And it came out at a time where I happened to be uh, living in an apartment with a roommate, so I had somebody to play it with there on Couch Co-op. Like, I just sank a lot of hours into that game. And it's the, the most satisfied I'd ever been outside of story <laughs> i'm gonna say outside of sex <laughs> i mean sex is down there but a good mk story that's way up there buddy it's competitive let's put it that way <laughs> uh but yeah like it just since deadly alliance came out and had those alt skins for Shang Tsung and Kano that were remakes of their MK1 outfits. Ever since then, I've been, I had been wanting to revisit MK1, 2, and 3 and, like, visually upgrade the costumes. Because, you know, when I, when I imagine what they were wearing, I don't really imagine Johnny Cage was wearing brown slippers with no socks at the MK1 tournament. That's fucking ridiculous. There's a those those outfits are just like what they could do at the time. They're not canon in my head. So to go back there in Shaolin Monks and do what I'd been waiting for to like visually upgrade everything in a way that breaks the canon as little as possible because nine would do the same thing but break the canon in a lot of fucking ways. Uh, Shell and Monks mostly looks like I imagine MK1 and 2 are supposed to look. So, visually, like, I still think most of the costumes in that game are the best costumes those characters have ever had. Um, 
so you've got gameplay, you've got aesthetics, uh, all top tier. The the only sticking point is the story, and and the way they sold it to us that it's going to be an expanded remake of MK2, and it's going to be the true story finally revealed, and all the details are going to be in there, and it's like Mortal Kombat 2 is not a complicated narrative. It's a karate tournament, just like the first one. <laughs> and the central plot of Shaolin Monks is that there is no karate tournament. You're just wandering around Outworld, killing everyone you bump into. <laughs> How do you get that one detail wrong? How? <laughs> I just, it's, it, it's so hilarious to me that they made it like a tagline, like a selling point when they were promoting the thing before it came out. We got a comic book writer to write this game because comic book writers are used to working with continuity and he'll, you know, do his research and give us, you know, the, the most detailed true story version. And then... So first of all, about the writer of Shaolin Monks, uh, Jim Kruger, primarily famous for being the writer on uh, Alex Ross's Justice, which is a tribute to the Super Friends cartoon from the 70s. Um, and other than that, Jim Kruger has not had a lot of work in the industry, period. So he's not exactly particularly renowned as a comic book writer. And honestly, when you work on an Alex Ross book, Alex is ghostwriting half of it for you. Um, so... I honestly think the only reason Jim got the job is because some of the guys at Midway went to college with Alex Ross, which is why Alex Ross, they were able to get him to paint that cover for MK vs. DC. Um, so, so some people were friends with Alex, and Alex was like, hey, give my buddy a job. That's what I think happened. And, uh, and Mr. Kruger did not do his research. And uh, I wonder what they even gave him to work with, considering certain requirements like, well, we have to have a Goro fight, even though it's established in MK2 that Goro is currently hiding and pretending to be dead. He's not supposed to appear in any games between 1 and 4. But we gotta have a Goro boss fight! He's Goro! He's famous! It's gotta have every MK1 and 2 character in it! So... I, I don't know. It is what it is. I, I look back and it's funny now because, like, I have such a strong memory of the them being, like, re reluctant to admit in the Fight Night chess that there was anything wrong. And then we finally got them to say that it's not canon. I just, I, I had nothing to do with it, but I take it as a personal victory because that's how it makes me feel. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's that's what I remember most about Shaolin Monks. It's my favorite game, except in story, where it's probably like my second least favorite game. <laughs> <laughs>
So it's a real mixed bag. But yeah, I just I I wish so much that we could get a like a remaster or re-release of any kind. Because I just like to you know be able to play it online with other people, and have the the co-op experience again. You could parsec it. Yeah, yeah. I've done you that. Can do that. And I, I'm I'm sure at some point we will. But yeah, I mean, getting a remaster would be pretty cool. Definitely, the demand is there. I mean, it's brought up. I feel like a lot in the Q. Oh yeah, it's that every, all does. the time. Every every single time that people ask Ed questions, and you know, you know that if it were up to him, it would have happened by now. And it's just WB doesn't want to put out anything MK that's not a fighting game. Got to make that money. Yeah, it's it's the world, unfortunately, <laughs> that we live in these yeah. days. <laughs> it's also um, visuals, too. I think WB has a very specific image they want to convey about Mortal Kombat. And that just, to the mainstream, Shaolin Monks is not the image they want to convey, I think. They're like, no, this is like a, a fucking PS2 game. This is not the image of Mortal Kombat we want to convey, which is stupid that this is... These are not my thoughts, but that I think is another reason why. Yeah, I mean, I that's think that the thing. Really that it's, been, yeah. it's been a generation or two too long. It would have to get a remaster now. Yeah, and that's a lot of work for a re-release of an old game. Could you imagine you don't if know. Capcom were like, you know what? None of our titles look really good compared to what we do now. Let's just in the bin. Chuck it all. All the CPS yeah, right? fighting games. All of them. Street Fighter Two. Three. Like every every Arms couple years, they're willing to like do another Midway Arcade Treasures or whatever. Every couple years, why can't Shell and Monks just be treated like that? I think the difference, Something, you know, logistically, I think the difference is is like pixel art and sprites seem to have like a charm to them that's never ending, whereas PlayStation graphics and PS2 graphics do not age well. Neither do like original Xbox or any of that. I think that's the difference, but I mean, I agree with you in spirit. I agree that that's a difference aesthetically completely. And I mean, to this day, MK1 through 3 like are, are still the most visually representative of Mortal Kombat to me. Sure. But to WB, the difference between old pixel art or motion capture, such as it is in 1 through 3, and early PS stuff, PS2 stuff. It's academic. It's to them it's all old. It doesn't exist. Anything anything that came along prior to them getting the license might as well not exist. I think it's a corporate branding thing. And I'm sick to fucking death of it. WB yeah. may have saved this franchise from bankruptcy, but they've also fucking put a knife in it, you know? I, I just I, I have that's... no patience for them. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll get into that sort of conversation naturally when we talk about MK versus DC into MK9. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think in general that you can't really talk about those, that transition period without addressing that whole thing. So I'm sure we'll give it more in depth discussion. Um, Razor, if you're done, I'll, I'll go. I'll chime in with my thoughts. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so for me, Shallon Monks, like, I, I mean, I agree with you, Razor, in that, I mean, I like fighting games, but I've ne it's never been, like, a huge passion of, of mine. Like, my love of MK is my love of MK. It's not my love of fighting games takes me to Mortal Kombat. It was the other way around. So, like, I, I really liked the 
you know, beat em up uh, co-op experience was a lot of fun. I remember I got it with a friend. I don't know how long after release, um, but I had a blast playing through it. And I recall we did like the, I think we used like the code or whatever to unlock Scorpion and Sub-Zero. And because we'd much rather play as them at the time than Liu Kang or Kung Lao. And I remember getting to the end and I think we didn't know about getting like the extra life from like Jax or Kano or whatever it was. I can't remember. You face him in prison. Yeah, it's uh, Jax helps you fight Kano and defeat them and then it leaves a, a health yeah, health for thing. The boss fight. Right, exactly. We didn't know about that, so we just went straight into the boss fight with Sub Zero and Scorpion. Uh, and they don't. I feel like they don't have the as good of a tool set to face Shao Kahn and Kentaro and stuff as Liu Kang and Kung Lao do. And I remember we were just struggling for the longest time until we finally, you know, researched it a bit and found out. Yeah, they Sub Zero and Scorpion definitely struggle in that fight comparatively. And uh, yeah, so we spent a lot of time doing that. But yeah, that game was just a lot of fun. I love the idea of getting that Mortal Kombat experience, but in a way that's not just a fighting game. I love, you know, I would love like a Mortal Kombat RPG, you know, and eventually what we got with Conquest and stuff like that as well. I guess technically one Conquest came before, but the Armageddon Conquest and whatnot. So I, I love that explorative feel and the co-op aspect of it is definitely a lot of fun. So my memories, you know, relating to Shaolin Monks was pretty much just having fun experiencing these characters in this world in a different setting that's not just 1v1 fights. And I definitely agree. It's a shame we haven't gotten anything since. And I, I hope we do. I mean, even if it's not, it doesn't have to be NRS that, has you know control of that i mean they can have another studio i mean obviously rocksteady's been thrown around a lot that would be cool that they collaborated on something like that but even if not rocksteady i mean there's so many studios out there that i think could take something like that on so it'd be it's insane to me that we get something like onslaught and i'm sure there's a world of difference between you know the level of money and time and stuff like that that goes into those types of things but it's just crazy to me that we'll get something like Onslaught to earn money for WB or whatever, um, but we can't get uh, Shaolin Monks or a Fire and Ice or you know any sort of experience like that again for Mortal Kombat. That's just leaving money on the table. As much as I'm sure they you know rely on MK to bring them a ton of money, I mean they wouldn't be pushing out a mobile game and movies now, like you know straight to video movies and so on and so forth. If MK wasn't bringing them money across the table on all these different, you know, media platforms. So why not bring in a studio and have NRS kind of weigh in on things, but then the other studio can handle the actual design of it. That's crazy to me. But in regards to thoughts on the game, I mean, I had a lot of fun. I also liked the versus mode. That was kind of fun. And yeah, it just yeah, it was a it was unique the versus mode because it was right. basically Power Stone yeah, instead of like yeah. a proper fighting exactly. Game. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Power Stone was exactly what I was thinking before you mentioned that. So that's that's a fun. Yeah, it's fun in its own in its own right. So and I and I liked having multiple playable characters and stuff and and yeah, really dug the the boss fights of the game as well. That you know, really, I always really cool. liked 
in in the versus mode. The versus mode was the first time they ever had like intro dialogues. Right. So like everybody would have like a like a couple of quotes that they would cycle through. Uh it was like MK9 where it wasn't like a conversation. It was just like a canned thing they'd say like uh the funniest thing though is that Sub-Zero only had one and it was the noise he makes when he does the cold shoulder in the <laughs> 3D air games instead yeah. of like English. <laughs> like he he doesn't talk. He goes Onan Kanjiri, and that's all he can say. <laughs> God, we need more MK gibberish back in general. Right? We need more of that stuff. Make Raiden babble again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, Temp, what do you what do you got in terms of Shaolin monks? Well, this is probably the toughest game to do a retrospective on for me because it just it's been so long. Yeah. Um. I played the game twice in 2005. I never played the game ever again. Um, and recently I watched uh, the speed run uh, commentated by one of the twins. And it was like I was seeing so much of it for the first time. But um, I generally remember liking the game quite a bit. I, I didn't love the game. I liked the game. Um, there's two reasons for that. One, I wasn't really playing a lot of games back then. Um, I was sort of in like a gaming hiatus that really wouldn't end until... I think I revisited Final Fantasy XII in my senior year of college. And then it, like, actually ended with Resident Evil 4 in, like, 2009. And that game had already been out for a good, good while, like, four years, right? Um, so I kind of, like, left that hiatus to play Shallon Monks. But I remember liking playing the game. Um, like you guys, I was really disappointed in the story. Um, not... The, to most people, probably not the most egregious thing, but I think the thing that really bothered me at the time was when I think they stabbed Jade in the eye. Yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, Luke Lu Kang. Luke Kang just straight up takes Melina's size and impales her crosswise through the head. And I was like, man. For literally no reason. <laughs> it doesn't she, even she was, to... she was already down yeah. at that point. <laughs> I was thinking, like, that that feels like an overreaction to me. It is It is the most gratuitous finisher in the game, and it's being done to someone who's, like, the one character you fight who's not evil. <laughs> well, that's why it bothered me. It bothered me not just because, like, this is it seems like a very clear contradiction in the lore, because this was a little earlier in the game. But yeah, it was quite that, what I, I was into that was yet. one of the first moments, It's I like, think, it's the second you, uh... level of the game. <laughs> that was the moment. I think that was the first, like, that. That's not how this went, kind of deal. I, 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 I think... do remember looking at that and going, "What? What?" And you guys know I'm a big Jade fan as it is, but what really bothered me is that it 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 was done in a way where it's like the writers didn't know that Katana and Jade were friends. So it's like, I don't know if these people know the story. Well, no, because the, the dialogue immediately after that is Katana is, is, like, groggy and coming out of mind control that you freed her from, and the first thing she sees is Jade on the ground with sighs sticking out of her head. And she's <laughs> like, you killed her. She was my best friend, and you killed oh. her. And Liu Kang's just like, sorry that she was attacking us. <laughs> oh, did she say that? 
Yeah, yeah, and in spite of really well, <laughs> in spite of that, Katana still like is making eyes at Lou at the very end of the game in the final cutscene. Like, there's romantic music playing, and they walk off together. <laughs> well, that is good because it's not as bad as I remember. I remember being like a sort of like an SF five guile thing, but it sounds like that memory was incomplete. So that's at least that's better. That's a that's, that is a little better, <laughs> but it's a still... little better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just wow, a tad. I'm sensing a mild theme of like people overreacting to being attacked, like when Liu Kang attacked Raiden in nine, and Raiden was like, "No!" Doesn't Kung Lao isn't making that me electrocute you? Isn't that one of like the famous kind of funny memes from the game? Is when Kung Lao just gets obliterated and Liu Kang runs up to him and says, "Are you okay?" No, <laughs> or it's something uh, like that. I so there's it was a Shaolin some, monk. like yeah, Baraka like oh, yeah. has a kidnapped Shaolin monk, and he like stabs him through the head or something, <laughs> sets him on fire, and throws him at you. And Lou and runs up to the body <laughs> and like checks on is like, "Are you okay?" And immediately after this, the guy's soul leaves his body. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, actually, he he made it through all of that. Being tossed down the corridor and bouncing over to Kung Lao, and then he died. That's great. It, it's like I never played the game. Like, I don't remember any of that. That is so many beers ago, right? And <laughs> I think, like, to me, Sean Monks, more than anything, is a string of random memories. Some of them very good. Like, like all the really hype stuff still sticks out to me, like Kung Lao pulling a rabbit out of his hat and doing a fatality. That's yeah. always a really oh, good memory. Oh, yeah, the... The fatalities yes, are pretty I almost fun. forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. They are insane oh, for not bringing that back. Beats oh, it's you to death friendship. With a Wait, oh god, no. Oh no. Stop. Yeah, There's two just... versions of it. One version, he pulls out the rabbit, tosses it to you, you catch it and start petting it like, oh, it's a cute bunny. And then it chomps your head off, like bites through your neck and you get decapitated. The second Monty time Python they the Monty Python thing. The, the no, second one. Do that again, yeah. The second version, he pulls the rabbit out of the hat and he's holding it by the ears, and then he just starts smacking you with the rabbit, like he's using it like a club. <laughs> I, I, oh. I'd, I'd pay money for that. Yeah. Do you remember the Johnny Cage uh, fatality? I don't. Where he starts, where he starts using your nuts like a punching bag, and starts doing like the rollover fist thing back and forth. Yeah, he starts speed bagging your nuts. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then he, like, winds up for one final punch, and he hits you in the nuts so hard your legs blow off. <laughs> oh my okay. god. Shaolin Monks had some of the best fatalities in the series. I was following every word of that sentence. He's like, Johnny Cage uses your nuts. And I'm like, it, 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 what, what happens after that? <laughs> Does he beat you to death with your nuts? Like, yeah. um... It's like the I rabbit, mean... but instead he's just grabbing your bag and beating you with it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, if they were okay selling an AO-rated game, I could have totally seen him doing that in this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's PS2 nuts. It's not even that bad, right? Um, Hot coffee but, nuts. It, it's, yeah, just uh, PS5 nuts would be a different story, most likely. But I, I don't know, man. Like, another great moment that always stuck out with me, probably one of the most hype things I've ever seen in Mortal Kombat, was when Shao Kahn threw the hammer and Kung Lao slash Liu Kang wraps his body around it and hurls it back at him and breaks the mask. That yeah. was so high. Yeah. And man, I, I don't feel like we have any moments like that in the NRS era. I, I feel like we have nothing. The only thing that ever kind of made me like 
made my blood go a little colder was when Noob Saibot said, we share blood, we are not brothers. I'm like, ooh. But that, that, that's pretty Yeah, it's, it's very, very rare. We have, you know, th- these cinematic cutscenes now that they put so much work into animating, and yet, how many times can you think of where you ever saw, like, a fight happen in a cutscene that made, that made one of the protagonists look cool? You know, where they did, like, a really sick move. Um, I think the closest maybe, I can yeah. think of, the closest I can think of is there a, there's a moment in Eleven where Sector uses his flamethrower, and if I you're playing thinking. as Scorpion, because you can choose between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, if you're playing Scorpion, he just sticks his chest out and tanks it because he's Scorpion, and fire doesn't <laughs> hurt him. <laughs> How do you mean that, That's an optional event. Yeah, that's optional. If you're playing as Sub-Zero, uh, when Sector uses the flamethrower, Sub-Zero just uh, f- shoots ice back yeah, at him to block it. the cancel thing, yeah. Yeah. Like the two beam struggle, basically. The Dragon Ball face-off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically, yes. Well, I will even say that, like, Sub-Zero fighting... I'm sorry. Uh, Scorpion fighting the, the Link Queen MK11 with all his teleport shit. That was, that was okay. That was cool. But, like, it was in the trailer. Like, I knew about that going into the game. You don't have that impact like you had that hammer twirl in Shaolin Monks, right? And yeah. yeah. I thought when, uh, yeah. sorry, throw on another thing. It's in the same like moment, but I thought when Scorpion runs at the uh, the Cyber Lin Kuei and then teleports behind him was pretty cool too. There's moments, but yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, that's you're right. That, there's, well, yeah, there I, is, I feel like there we're missing like moments of martial arts choreography influenced stuff, you know? There sure. is the bit in Aftermath with Shang Fujin and Nightwolf versus Geras and the Cyber Ninjas. Like where there they some are cool reenacting stuff, yeah. bits from Deception. Yeah. Or, when oh, yeah. Shin, or when like Shinnok is not even like trying and he's blocking all of Damn like, it, Johnny Cage's. That. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. I was just about to say that. <laughs> Like two people, he's fighting two people, just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he's just, that's uh, pretty Darth good. Vader Empire Strikes Back in all of the hits, right? Yeah. So oh. I mean, there's still some gems out there. But... Yeah, once in a while, once in a while. I do like that moment where Shang like kind of bisects a guy by melting him down the center. One of the cyber ninjas. Yeah, well, he just he, like karate chops and his hand is hot. <laughs> yeah. I have no memory of that. It's during it's the moment. before they start doing deception stuff with Gears. It's that same scene. Martial arts uh, stuff, man. More actual martial arts, less DBZ. That's what I need. Wait, deception stuff with Giris? Yeah, when uh, when Shang, Nightwolf, and Fujin all sort of oh, team up okay. on Giris like the Deadly Alliance and Raiden did to Onaga. Okay, well, Aftermath I watched on YouTube at like 2.0 speed, so all of it's gone, to be honest with you. But that makes sense. Something like that does sound familiar. Um... And Charlotte Monks had a lot of cool moments like that. Uh, then there's stuff like, Man, I don't hate, but I don't feel like it was done speed. very well. God damn. Wait, what's up? Oh, the, the 2.0 speed? Yeah, that's rough. I watch almost everything at 2.0 speed. Even things I like, I watch at 2.0 speed. Okay, so this like, is not an I'm tired of this story thing. This is just like, I got no time for it. No, that. it was. It was absolutely that. But it was also Aww. because I watched everything at 2.0 speed. But Aftermath, I just, um, I was out. I, I that was like okay let's, let's watch this so I don't have to watch it later and I I, I mean I was hoping to be impressed but eh. oh well but I don't know just uh, for Shaolin Monks it's it just it's 
there are things I'm kind of like, if this was done better, this could have been cool. Like when Sub-Zero got his scar from Kung Lao, I'm like, oh, well, I guess that answers the scar question, but it, it felt kind of out of place. Yeah, it, it, it answers it in the sense of they felt obligated to have an answer, but no one is like, that's the answer. Yeah, at the time, everyone was like, oh, we all just assumed that he got that while escaping from the Lin Kuei clan. Yeah. Like, in fact, you know, like he dodged a bus off point, the Cyrax or something. At this point, we know from John Tobias answering questions on Twitter that the intention was, yes, he got it from escaping the Lin Kuei clan. Oh, Sector wow. probably punched him in the face so hard. Like, nobody wants a stranger to do it in a fight that has no stakes. So you're telling me that Kano using a cursed Kami Dogu to do it doesn't make any sense either? Wow. The more Look, you know. I've... I'm willing I'm willing to accept that from the new timeline just because oh, the new timeline needed a scar on Sub-Zero's face. We had to get there somehow and they didn't do it in 9, so fuck. It, Whatever. It really it, it kind of reminds me of that kids in the hall sketch where one of the uh the waiters has stubs for hands and they ask him how he got his stubs. It's like, well, it all came, it all happened that day the pasta maker showed up. And it shows this deadly, sharp, like, multi-bladed pasta maker. He's just making pasta, and it's an extremely dangerous device. And then some guy, some disgruntled customer comes in and bites his hands off. Um, so uh, that's kind of what the scar feels like to me. And it feels very anticlimactic, both with Kano and with Kung Lao. But I guess Sector couldn't burn a perfect scar in his eye either. That would be kind of hard to explain. I, I don't know. Like it's because uh, well, it has to come from Sector. Right? The man's yeah. knuckles are metal plates. It doesn't need an explanation. Just have him punch him. I always just figured it was Cyrax's buzzsaw. Yeah, Cyrax okay, buzzsaw yeah, would okay. work. I think. I think you know, scraping across his face with a teleport uppercut that would be fine. Yeah. Te technically, uh, I'm sure S Sector has something sharp he could pop out of his gauntlets that we've not seen him use in his moves list. They're, they're Swiss Army knives. It doesn't like, matter. You know the what I mean? Like, the yeah. person who does it needs to be someone who has a like a an emotional fight with Sub Zero. I kind of like the idea of him him getting it from Cyrax as he's escaping, because then like you can kind of play it up later when Cyrax you know goes good or whatever. And then he can kind of look at Sub Zero's face and always have that regret, you know, kind of reminder of where he was. Yeah, I think it's kind of a cool thing. I I don't, yeah, no, even I don't have a smoke... preference which Cyber Ninja does it. It just needs to be during the escape. <laughs> it, it could be Smoke's like trident. It could be Trapdal from one of Sector's missiles. There's any way you can do it. In the Hydro. It, <laughs> Hell yeah! Water cuts, baby! It's just that putting Cyrax and later in the same sentence has not traditionally worked out. That's the only problem with that. <laughs> Why you gotta go there, man? Because it's funny! It made me laugh. Um, yeah, Maybe he just, got uh... the scar and the many times that Cyrax has killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was too close to a detonation. Self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up that oh. Kids in the Hall skit tap. I'd forgotten about that shit. Dude, it's, it's probably one of my top three. It's so I, good. It's so good. Probably say my favorite is still The King of Empty Promises, but I really do like that one. Actually, no, I think I like Pasta Maker slightly better. Those are really good. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I had more to say, but I, it's, I guess the last thing I'll say is I still, to this day, do not like that reptile costume. I don't like reptile with mummy wraps, and I'm That's probably never going to. That's, that's, dang, that's a hot take. Oh, I, I think Reptile should have a mask, and the mask should be green. 
Yeah, I, I liked it at the time, but I think it works better for Ermac. So, for context, we're looking at a time here where Reptile was primarily identifiable by his Deadly Alliance Lizard Man outfit costume, which a lot of people hated straight off the bat. So when Reptile shows up in Shaolin Monks looking like all ninja-like for the first time, for the first time, arguably since UMK3, a lot of people were into it. It was a big favorite at the time. What I what I appreciate about Shell and Monk's Reptile is in versus mode, his player two palette had like it looked exactly the same. It had scales and everything, but the scales were colored uh, flesh tone. Yeah, which is the the only time they've ever really given uh, anything approaching an explanation for the quote unquote human disguise right. that he was supposed to be wearing in the original MK one, two and three. Also I worth do. noting that uh, they that they saw the reaction to people like liking that outfit so much to the extent that when they did Armageddon shortly afterwards, which basically ported every outfit everyone had already had from Deadly Alliance and Deception, they went in and they bothered to give Reptile the Shaolin Monk's outfit. It's it's interesting. There were there were two versions, you know, the big Armageddon wallpaper with everybody standing in a crowd, the famous right. one. There were two versions of that. There was one that they released that didn't have Motaro yet and a couple other characters. And then there was a later one where they added Motaro and some of the costumes are different. In the first version of the wallpaper, it's Deadly Alliance Reptile. In the second hmm. version, it's Shaolin Monk's Reptile. Interesting. I think so it was like, also MK3 Striker as well in the first Yeah, one. yeah. So, like, Reptile happened to be one of those characters where they put extra effort in during development to give him an extra costume that, you know, they didn't have to. Right. They could have just used the Deadly Alliance assets, and they're like, no, nobody likes Deadly Alliance Reptile, we're going to make a new skin for him. Right. What's sad is they knew that before Deadly Alliance even came out. Like, there was a very noisy backlash against Reptile. Um, a lot of it was the tale, of course. It's just... I just feel like I could have forgiven everything if he had a mask. Because I think the ninja mask is so vital to the ninja's personality. Yeah. And it's such a point of expression that a lot is lost. I'm not going to harp too much on Ermac already having the mummy wraps. Whatever, fine. I'm over it. But um, I do think it works way better for Ermac, though. Because that is his ninja mask. But Reptile, I feel like, needs a beautiful, shiny, green-ass mask. And I'm never going to change my mind on that. It's interesting because Reptile in specific has to have moves where he uses his mouth. So whether or not you start the game with a mask on him will determine his animations because he's either going to have to reach up and take off a mask every time he spits acid or he's not. And if you start the game with him not because because he's wearing a mouth, a mask that exposes his mouth like the Shell and Monk's wraps then it's too late to go back and add a mask later because it's going to screw up the animations. He's he's not going to have anything programmed in to reach up and take off a mask. So that when you make the decision of mask or not, unfortunately for the entire game, every skin you're making that decision, it's stuck that way. I guess MKX was the middle ground on that. Although I'm not in love with the MK mask either, but I don't hate it. But um, I think, yeah, the MKX mask is probably the best um, compromise you're going to find. And I actually, like, of all the masks Reptile has worn, uh, I would say the MKX mask has the, the most identity that is specific to Reptile. 
Yeah, yeah. I I think one reason why the mask is such a pain point for me is because it looks so good on the UMK3 select screen. I'll never forget seeing that for the first time. Just blown away because it just it's almost like it looks almost emerald. It looks so good to me. Um but yeah, I think that covers every I guess the Kung Lao Baraka shit was hype. Um him Barack like leaping over the fire was tight. Um, everything else is gone though. I can't remember anything else about the game. One but I remember thing, having a positive experience at the time. One one thing that's worth mentioning is it has a bomb ass intro. Like that cinematic was super cool the first time they showed it. Oh yeah, Sonya also looks really good in the game as well. I like what they did with Sonya. It yeah. is also the starting point of them trying to like sell. Kung Lao trying to sneak into the MK1 tournament. Yeah, that was as a cool reveal in the intro yeah. for sure. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Well, it, it bothered me because I almost felt that like Kung Lao shouldn't actually be involved until after like his like after all the Shaolin get massacred by Baraka and the Tarkatans. There's but he gets a, kind of cool points. There's always been like uh like a contingent of there's always been a debate of like. Shaolin Monks is the the point where they introduced a completely different personality to Kung Lao than he'd had in previous games. Yeah, this and it's is sort of it, like right? whenever this whenever people started. complain about the the jerk Kung Lao, the jealous second best Kung Lao, who's always like complaining that Lu is the main guy when he wants to be the main guy. That Kung Lao was invented by Shaolin Monks, and we've been stuck with it ever it... since. So it's kind of Shaolin Monks's fault. But um, it wasn't I'm, always. Overt. I've always been of the opinion. So, like the the main argument against it is there's people who believe Kung Lao was always intended to be a pacifist. Like the reason he chose not to go to the tournament was that he didn't like to fight and wanted to live a life of peace, like a like a classic traditional monk, and. If you actually read the bios and endings in the games, they never said what Kung Lao's motivation is or isn't when he was first introduced in MK2. They didn't say shit about what the White Lotus Society is. Tobias never explained any of what was in his head for where Liu Kang and Kung Lao come from and what the difference between them is. So... You know, if you ask him now on Twitter, he, he has explained that he intended the White Lotus Society to be some kind of vigilante club that fights injustice in China. And Kung Lao didn't go to the tournament because he thought his work with the White Lotus was more important, that he didn't take the saving the world with martial arts from believing in outworld stuff seriously. He was basically the movie version of Liu Kang. Right. Uh, but the pacifist stuff was never his starting motivation. It was supposed to be something he arrives at at the end of MK3. It's supposed to be character development, that when he, that after he's fought Outworld in MK2 and MK3, he gets to the point where he's like, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to change. I want to become a pacifist. So he never had an explanation starting out for why, why didn't you go to the MK1 tournament? Why did, uh, you know, you not... Try to avenge your ancestor. Why'd you let Liu Kang go in your place? So when Shaolin monks went, Kung Lao did want to go, but the Shaolin was only allowed to send one person. They only had a single invitation, so Liu Kang and Kung Lao fought for it in a qualifying match, and Liu won. 
and Kung Lao's a little salty about that. That made sense to me. It does make like, sense. I, I, here's it's here's still, the thing. It's here's the thing. It's a little bit of jerk ass Kung Lao, which I still don't like. Yeah, it's about the characterization. That's the part that bugs people. And in my opinion, uh, there was a nice uh, tempering of that in MK9, where Kung Lao was not quite as much a jerk as he is in Shaolin Monks or in Eleven. In Nine and the a lot of the intros in X, the the ones that are specific to alive Kung Lao skins, uh, he was much less of an asshole. And if they if they had writers there now, which they don't, who are who were capable of subtlety and nuance, uh, you could have a Kung Lao that wouldn't get on our fucking nerves so much and have the Shaolin Monks version of the story, where he's got an actual backstory reason for not being at MK One. Well, I don't really have a horse in either race. I generally want to go with what's most canon. The reason why I am sympathetic to those who like the pacifist storyline of Kung Lao is because it's much more dramatically interesting when he chooses to fight after the targeted slaughter. That's the reason why I think it works for so many people. Because when a pacifist has to fight, that is just so much more dynamic. That it's like, okay, now it's convenient to fight, right? I don't know. I just, I just think it's more interesting. like. It's the same thing, but kind of moving in the other direction. If he starts out as someone who wants to fight and then learns that he doesn't actually, like, it doesn't feel right and he'd rather, like, have a life of peace. And then you get an MK4 where he's like, you think he's going to go after Goro? And when he gets there and slashes him across the chest, he's like, I- actually, I don't want to fight. I'm a pacifist now. That was a ceremonial thing. And they shake hands. It's like we've had 16 different chapters of a book out of order and jumbled yeah. wrong. There's a good story in there somewhere about a guy who has principles, who has an agenda, who isn't above shedding blood, but learns not to. It's just that we've been presented that story in various ways across various decades, written by various people with various levels of quality, you know? And it's so maddening. It's so inconsistent and maddening. Like, this is why I said last time this character is broken. I just yeah, I, I feel, feel like yeah. I just feel like because we didn't have a backstory and everybody assumed a thing that wasn't necessarily correct. The one thing I will tell you definitely is canon in the original MK1 is the Shaolin only could send a single representative. So the idea that Liu Kang had to fight somebody to get that spot is something I have wanted to see. And Which is you fine. Know, if you don't do it with Kung Lao, then what are, is it going to be fucking Sing and Sang from Malibu? I'm not interested yeah. in that. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Give it to me. But, but no, I, actually, I, I also kind of figured that, like, Kung Lao would at least respect the decision. So I don't know. Like, it's cool. No, I just, I like the, 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 I whole like the idea. Cool, but it also does bother me. I it's like the idea of Kung Lao uh, sneaking along because he's like, not convinced that Lou is the guy, and he's like, somebody needs to watch his back, because I don't know if he can do the job, because that's where Kung Lao is in his head, you know, still thinking I'm better it. than if, him. If, if, if he but, does it because he thinks he's his... But it's, if he does it because he wants to look out for his buddy, I'm cool with that. If he does it because I think I'm better than you, look at me, Sifu, I'm the strongest Saiyan, fuck that. 
Well, I'm no, not that's the problem. That's the that's the problem with like the the nine version. Uh, you know, having Raiden walk around knowing the future and be like, "Kung Lao, I know it's you." And then Kung Lao is like, "Well, fine, I'll ditch the disguise and immediately demand to be in the tournament." That was a bad decision. If Kung Lao is going to sneak along disguised as a masked guard, then the way you should use him is only to pr jump out to protect Liu Kang from assassins outside the bracket, because that is something we should also be seeing at MK1. And they kind of did it in 9 with Kitana, kind of not. Like, if I, if I were going to do that, it would be like fucking Reptile and Ermac, the guys who aren't supposed to be in the bracket. You know, Liu Kang should be, you know, meditating between matches, like waiting for his next, uh, you know, round of the tournament. And one of these fucking ninjas jumps him. Surprise, Kung Lao's there to save him. Then it's, you know, like, oh, I'm glad to see you. You know, don't make him fucking a burden on the viewer where he is like, where every time you see Kung Lao, you're like, ah, oh, not this guy again. They write him as such a jerk. And this is where I like you know, to ask Tobias, because I feel like Kung Lao was supposed to be, like, charismatically quiet, almost like Clint Eastwood energy, right? Well, yeah, they, they did say that in, uh, you know, interviews back in the 90s, especially with uh, his blue screen actor, Anthony Marquez. They always said they wanted that, you know, the, the man with no name kind of thing where he doesn't talk much. And he's always just got, like, it's the the image of the cool guy with the hat tipped low, all stoic and like mysterious. And the problem yeah. with mysteriousness is that it can't last. Like if you're if you're all a a cool picture and there's nothing deeper to you, if you're as shallow as a puddle, that's not gonna go very far. You know, I it happened so it. long since those days that if they gave us a new storytelling. And that was his intro, and that's the that was the way he acted for the first couple of chapters. It would get beyond coolness points and newness points alone. It would work. All I'm saying is, you can have the Shell and Monks version if you don't write him so whiny and like. That's all I ask. The one thing, the one thing that NRS era games storytelling has failed at is making hero characters feel heroic. You know, and likable. And, like, you want... The moment when Kung Lao shows up should feel like, you know, he's fucking saving somebody. Which, to be fair, is how it's done in Shaolin Monks. He only unmasks and reveals himself to save Liu Kang from a, a soul steal, like Shang was starting to win the fight. Kung Lao uh, kicks him off and then throws the hat at Baraka, because Baraka's about to run in and get involved, too. I'll say that you're right about the mystery, but I don't think that takes you straight to loquacious, though. That's that's the thing. Like you can take away the mystery, but still keep him introverted and you know soft spoken. I think you could have had both there. I just the one the one thing I would like to see from Kung Lao, which kind of fits the Shaolin monks version a little better than it would like a pacifist version, is that. When we, the driving uh, conflict Liu Kang faces in the original MK2 is he's struggling with whether or not to kill. Like, do I get revenge for the Shaolin who've been slaughtered by the Tarkatans, 
and you know do i give in to the rage that i feel or do i stay true to my beliefs in spite of you know this horrible thing that has happened and what i what i like to imagine is that kung lao is the voice the devil on the shoulder who's going why not kill baraka fuck him he's a monster there's there can't possibly be anything wrong with taking that creature out of this world that can't be a sin right look at him kung lao <laughs> should be the one saying that because at the end of the day Kung Lao is gonna cut Baraka in half. Bar Baraka is fucking sliced down the middle and stapled back together in MK4. We know Kung Lao got him. So Kung Lao is a killer. And Liu Kang, in the end, does hold true to his beliefs and resist that temptation and doesn't kill anybody canonically. But the, the struggle with his beliefs and making that choice and some voice, you know, in his ear going, do it, kill him. Why not? Needs to be there. I think you can have both, though. I think you could have the silent introvert who wants to cut Baraka in half, right? I mean, as long as as long as he gets makes it clear to Liu Kang that that's what he wants Liu to do too. Like, why are you holding back? Why are you not avenging our brothers? So we've talked about Shaolin monks. Now back to Shaolin monks. <laughs> it there, better uh, in a yeah well i mean I, I i i just i just feel like we've talked like about kung lao for like 20 minutes it's got to stop i'm getting the migraine yeah i mean um do yeah we, we, we covered it all armageddon now armageddon armageddon yeah. armageddon um, armageddon armageddon <laughs> armageddon <laughs> well uh, Shad, you went first. You want to go first again? Mm, unless anyone else wants to. I always Just go first. My... You can go ahead. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the thing about Armageddon is it is, I don't think anyone's going to deny it up to today. It is such a mixed bag of a game. To describe what a lot of us, myself included, felt going into this, it was, you know, the expectation was Trilogy all over again. And that really rang true for me, because like Trilogy was trilogy was like the game that I had spent so, so, so much time on at home. Like, probably more than MK4's home ports. Certainly more than any version of UMK3, because all the ports were crap and I didn't have a Saturn. <clears throat> like, MK Trilogy at home was my MK3. <clears throat> Sorry. Mm. So the prospect of that happening again was like, holy God, yes. And like seeing the wallpaper like change in time and like, it's, it really felt like they didn't leave, they didn't leave anyone behind, you know? Chameleon, both chameleons were in it, you know, one exclusive to like Wii, but whatever. And freaking, they, they, they added meat. They made meat his own character. I'd like them fucking apples. Yeah, yeah. He, this uh, is where we rolls his head at you like a bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where we learned, though. This is where we learned that we had inherently inbuilt expectations when it came to a Mortal Kombat game in terms of lore and story and plot, and that was that they'd always be there in a way that always made sense for everyone. 
in retrospect, it would be a daunting task for any writer of any skill level to find a believable way to mesh. Like, what was what was the final roster? Sixty characters or something like that. Sixty-three. Sixty-three. The lot of us were expecting sixty-three separate characters to each have a valid role in this huge end of the world plot. Sixty-three people. And when it when it turned out that that wasn't possible, it was so disappointing. We shouldn't have been surprised, but you know, we had these expectations. And John Vogel, bless his soul, went out of the way to try to do bios for these characters because none of the stuff was going to appear in the game. You know, we already know that they were on extremely tight production schedules at that point. Like they were, it was a matter of like midway trying to keep afloat and keep alive. Like, you know, things were winding down. They were starting to be in a bit of trouble. It wasn't going to happen. Like you, you weren't going to have reasons for Dairu and Darius and Hotaru to be around. I think that they pretty much figured that we as fans could put those reasons together ourselves. And we were still disappointed when like, you know, we didn't have that. I was among the disappointed. I was angry, you know. And there was a lot of, like, heat going their way, and they didn't deserve that. So, if I could go back in time, <clears throat> go back in time as an MK fan and, like, take back anything, it would be some of my rage and entitled bits of posting on MK Online, because I was, I, I felt, I felt really betrayed and angry at that time that there wasn't story enough for everyone, and I wasn't I was not able to see at that point that you know maybe this bit of story here for Sub-Zero with this uh, Sub-Zero in conquest mode is all that there is is all that they needs and is all he needs and I just I wasn't ready to accept oh everyone just kind of wants some of Blaze's power as a valid plot point for every single character you know it felt disappointing but I am really happy with what John and the writers of that game were able to give us so if they're listening thank you for making the extra effort and putting in the extra hours it's appreciated. MK Armageddon as a whole, in terms of plot and lore and how it fits into stuff, makes a lot more sense because of all the extra work that they did in those bios that they did not even have to do. That said, Armageddon is still such a mixed bag to me. Even, all, even the incomplete nature of its story aside, it is a game that I did not spend a lot of time with when it came out because... It also taught me a lesson that so much of a character's personality is in their fatalities. Or at least that's how I came to see it. Or them. So, you take this game that has no bios for a good, what, 80% of the cast. You take away their unique fatalities that give them these their signature personalities. And you're left with a game which is already, like, copy-pasting entire movesets and fighting styles, which are named different things, sure, but for their function, they're identical. And you have a game that really, really feels like you're playing as maybe the same 12 people over and over again, shuffled around the board. It's a game that lacks personality for a lot of its cast. And you can tell where they put the effort in, because it... You can see it in some characters like Meat and Reiko, who they 
bother to take the time and try to flesh out and make interesting for our sakes, like to make them feel new and fresh to some degree. And I do appreciate that, but I feel like coming out of Armageddon, the, the thing I can say that this, that's probably the best overall thing about it is Conquest Mode, which I had plenty of fun with. Not quite as much fun as Deceptions, but still a lot of fun. I didn't have much to say about like the, the, the new improvements that they made to the fighting game engine, because what was it really but air combos? I mean, Temp will know more about this stuff, and I'm sure he will talk more about this stuff than I can, but... Armageddon just kind of felt like more of the same, and maybe it did, it did play a little bit better than the, than the prior two, I remember that, but... So much personality was lost. And I didn't care about motor combat the same way I just didn't care about puzzle combat much or purportedly chess combat. It wasn't what I was there for. I was never there for Mortal Kombat games slapped as a skin onto something pre-existing. That, that, that never appealed to me. No, Conquest to me was the absolute best point about that game. I didn't like the creative fatality thing. I just didn't. But, but another good feature, another really good feature, that game had a pretty damned fun creative fighter mode for its time. I spent a good long while on that, and I remember making my own versions of Tremor and Scarlet, which were designed to not suck. <laughs> they probably still sucked thinking back on them. My Scarlet was a blonde. Why did I do that? Was it a Gone with the Wind reference? Yes, it was. Okay, moving on. I mean, I always pictured it as blonde, to be honest with you. All right, I'm not insane. Cool. I don't know. I think there actually was some art I saw where she... Well, blonde and red looks good anyway. It's the Carmen Sandiego thing, so... Maybe, maybe. Unless Carmen hey. Sandiego's not blonde. I can't remember. Carmen Sandiego she's... is a brunette. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then I made that up. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at least glad to know that someone else thought that the concept of Scarlet as it existed at that point might be blonde. So I'm not the only one. That's nice to hear. No, Armageddon was this really strange, strange, kind of disappointing game. But as much cool about it as wasn't cool about it. Some really, some good things to look back on and think about, like, you know, some some cool sound effects and, well, sound effects, some, some cool songs in there. I like the soundtrack, the new stuff that it gives us. I thought Taven and Dagon were pretty cool. I liked having a concrete, like, origin and, like, purpose behind the black dragon everyone everyone loved the moment where we got to see rain's asshole personality shine through for the first time that was when rain really began he was a joke up until that game that game made rain that, that game made rain a viable prospect also made shinnok a little bit better too but shinnok was never truly fleshed out until x that's the universally held opinion Wasn't crazy about Blaze. Like the exec, like the concept, the execution was. Like I've said it recently, I I never cared for Fat Blaze. He's he, he he's he's a fatter, hairier Astaroth. Well, I disagree. No, no <laughs> Fat Blaze. No Fat he Blaze. Is, he he does look like Astaroth. Why does he have that mask? I I, I just, any other head, man. Any any other head. I actually, honestly, unironically prefer Mortal Kombat 2 palette swapped halfway Liu Kang on fire than I do Fat Blaze. I can't stand it. I can't stand the way he flails his, his, flails his huge fat arms around with stalks for fingers and toes. He, he rolls at you. 
Yeah, he has he has Molina's role. He just why why does he he because he's, he's huge. Because it's terrible. It's let's, bad. Let's say their character design at this point was it was rough. I feel Ugh, like. it was really rough. <laughs> I kind of like the whole fat man and little coat thing they got going. I did. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm probably rambling at this point, but just that. Armageddon was a game I really, really, really wanted to love top to bottom. And, you know, it gave us a couple of really cool things, like I've mentioned. And it was nice for, like, those extra battles to put Johnny Cage in kind of this mentor role and have him actually experience some character growth. That's That set a new marker for my respecting Johnny Cage. But it was so flat in other areas. It's cool to see Sector do some stuff in story mode. That was nice. Yeah. And then there's the endings. The arcade endings. Anyone who's listened to this podcast or listened to me and a razor knows about those endings. Oh man. The whole game just kind of as much as it was fun and it tried to be fun in certain places, there was also this kind of sense of we don't really care much or we can't afford to care much for the personalities that these characters are normally associated with. And all the endings were just tossed off most of the endings were just tossed off badly and it just felt like this game was designed to murder most of the cast, not bother with the investment that we as fans had put into them to a certain degree, not to be insulting or anything, but it was missing so much. There was something wrong, you know? Something was off. I wanted to love Armageddon, but never quite could. I look back on it now a bit more fondly than I did at the time, but it's still a far, far, far cry from the game that I wish it was. Next. Well, you know, we've done an entire episode of the Patron cast that revolves around my feelings on Armageddon's story and uh, basically my feeling that just because you say it's the end of the world doesn't mean it has to be. Like, you can have the good guys win and prevent it at the end. And there could have been sequels. There was no need to reboot. That's completely uh, engineered um, after the fact. So my my starting feelings on Armageddon is that, looking back, you know, with the limitations that we now know they had, we, none of us realized at the time how uh, serious Midway was financially, like, how their situation, like, how close they were to going bankrupt. None of us really imagined that things would get so bad that the company would genuinely close down and get bought by someone else. You know, looking back now and knowing what they had to work with, um, I I kind of like Armageddon. I've always kind of liked the story of Taven, Dagon, and Blaze, Argus, and Delia. I I think it can be it can be difficult, and they face the same problem in Deception of uh, focusing the story on a singular main character when you traditionally have an ensemble cast and sort of uh, neglecting avenues to tell stories with the other 25 or however many people just to give one person the spotlight. 
And in Armageddon's case, you're neglecting 62 people just to give one the spotlight. Um, but I still think that um, within the limitations of Taven as the main character and seeing everything from his perspective, they still managed to show us, uh, you know, stuff that was going on with uh, Sonya and Sector and Sub-Zero, Noob Saibot and Smoke. Uh, you know, the, there's there's little hints of things that you can read into of like, what happened to Lee May at the end of Deception? How did that whole thing where she was turning into like a mind-controlled Onaga loyalist, how did that shake out? Uh, well, it seems like maybe uh, she did betray the good guys and then got sent to hell, and maybe now she's trying to redeem herself because she's going after Shinnok. I don't know. Uh, hey, there's uh, Shiva and Motaro and Kintaro, and they're in the Nether Realm. So, I guess Kintaro died in a previous game, you know, and it's like. It's like, yeah, there's like bits and snatches for a lot yeah. of people everywhere that you want to latch onto to form a complete picture that isn't quite there. There's there's enough there's enough tidbits for a creative person who enjoys headcanon and fan fiction to fill in the blanks. Which is kinda how the old arcade games were written. Like we got used we got used to being spoiled with complete stories in Deadly Alliance and Deception. And to go back Complete to the stories, man, we had it good. Yeah, right. Remember, remember when multiple arcade endings came true in a game? <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, Armageddon. Like in some in some respects, it's not you know pleasant that we're back to uh, bullshit arcade endings that are completely non sequiturs and don't matter to anything. And we're back to uh, having to piece together the story from a single line of text here and a single bit of dialogue there. But on a certain level, I am nostalgic for some of that. I do, I do enjoy having an active role in figuring out what the plot is supposed to fucking be to a game. It hit different, though. Like, you knew that in prior games... Yeah. It was like, okay, section A from character ending B is canon. Well, section B is not and whatnot and whatnot. But with Armageddon it was like this is mostly completely entirely bullshit, isn't it? The, yeah. What what hits different about it to me is the knowledge that even if you figure it out, it doesn't matter anyway, like the nihilism of knowing that they're going to throw it all away in the next game. But I prefer to live in the world where I, you know, write fanfic that takes place after Armageddon. Everybody didn't die. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> did you expect then, it to continue afterwards? Question. I, I didn't... I did not know what to expect. I think on some level I expected a remake of MK1, 2, and 3. Especially after Versus DC Universe went back to a version of that status quo in its own story. Um, and also, like, after Shaolin Monks and the place that society was at the time was just a lot of things were making remakes. I, I, remember, of... I remember kind of expecting a really 
low-key roster of survivors. I, I I was expecting MK8 to be this I know soft a, reboot kind of thing. A lot of people took that one thing Ed said once about how he'd like to make a game of all new characters where the only returning is our Scorpion and Sub-Zero. And I never believed for a second that that would ever happen because it's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. First of all, it's not going to sell. Uh, nobody wants it. You know, you can't... We already saw what happened to Street Fighter 3. That is literally uh, exactly what Street Fighter 3 was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we know for a fact that as a business decision, that doesn't work. Uh, so I, I never expected that would actually be a th what they did. Um, I, I expected something similar to what 9 was. I just expected it to not outright be about fucking time travel and changing the story on purpose. <laughs> that, that caught me by surprise. Um, but no, I would have much preferred if they just made, you know, Mortal Kombat 8. Just continue. Uh, I don't believe in reboots, really. A, you know, a I like seem feasible to me. Like Armageddon really felt like it was a game that was engineered to just cut the wheat from the chaff. Like they were just tired of all these constant character requests for joke characters from MK4. Sorry about the meat love. People like Jarek that no one ever liked in the first place, and now we expect them there because it's a huge game. I, I, it felt like Armageddon was designed to get rid of an entire generation of crap. Yeah, but when you think about it, the, the it's even more efficient a way of getting rid of crap if you just start the universe over and never introduce it. <laughs> sure, that works too. That's what they did. Um... But yeah, I mean, they kind of wanted to. They kind of wanted to do both things, you know. Like that—that that was the issue with nine. Like it wanted to both cut away all that crap and start the universe over, but yes. remind us that the crap was still intact. And yeah, because we're still getting games where intros reference that Jarek exists. We're gonna <laughs> have never... to have that conversation with, like, when we get to nine. That's a that's a whole other thing. They'll never be playable, but they keep teasing that he's around. They haven't actually deleted anybody. I mean, they've deleted. Mo like seventy five percent of Su Hao, but Su Hao is still a character that exists in the universe. So what's the point? I think it's just to throw a bone. It's like pay an homage and Easter egg to those that were actually fans during that time. That the the few people that do like those characters, um, and I'm yeah, not they, crapping they on they the character. They do it in I'm a way saying, like, that doesn't feel ways. like they do it in a way that doesn't feel like they're giving you something you want. They do it in a way that it's like we killed who Su Hao, and here's his head. Isn't sure, that funny? Sure. I mean, to their to their sense of humor, I think they do find that funny. Like, I th I don't I don't think they, from their perspective, they don't have as much um, loving nostalgia feelings for some of those characters as like the fans do. So I think to them, it's like here's a wink and a nod to people that have been around for that long. But I don't think they see it from our perspective of hey. Why do you keep waving these things in front of us that we actually kind of do want to see brought back and, you know, given a proper, you know, uh, another shot, so on and so forth. I don't know, Tim. I don't think of it as like, I, I think it's just a disconnect. I think it's a disconnect I, I from understand. them and the, and the fan base. The fan base actually wants to see these characters done in a way that makes them uh, not just the, the butt end of the joke and 
brings them back in a, in a way that shows them more respect and probably a better a better showing than they got originally, like a Sue Howe, you know? Um, yeah, but I, I don't I think they see it that way. I understand why they do it. I just think that, like, if if you see Sue Howe that way as just a joke, why didn't you see Stryker that way? Why did he get the remake? I why think they did. why is he like a slim sexy looking John Cena man now? <laughs> I think they did see Striker that way until well hold on I think they did see Striker as a joke for a long time hence his yeah. absence for so long up until Armageddon even Armageddon that's... he was kind of silly but like yeah. I think I think in MK9 was like them bringing him back because they kind of had to because they were retelling that story. If they would go back through the actual Deadly Alliance and Deception stories and give these characters, I mean, that's kind of my biggest like why I've been championing and why most of us have been championing. But me specifically, like my mentality on this is like a lot of these characters aren't as beloved as, you know, the trilogy era characters only because they didn't get the greatest showing when they were around. If they would bring back an Ashra or, you know, XYZ, even a Sue Howe or whatever, like, there's no reason why they couldn't be as popular as a lot of the trilogy era characters, like a Sindel or whatever, if they just gave them, you know, a modern design, like, you know, a Kotal Khan or uh, a Devora, etc. Like, I mean, they've they show a lot more, I feel like, love and attention and... Um, just better concepting with these characters than they did with the the 3D era ones in terms of just like fully fleshing them out design wise and not. I feel like the 3D era they were kind of running out of ideas and they kind of. I, Go I ahead. Mean, it's in, in places like there are some things like I'd say like looking at Deadly Alliance or Deception Kenshi and that's the guy that looks completely fleshed out to me. You know? Oh yeah, no, that's not like yeah. It's, well, it would. I, I feel. I feel like it's also. I feel like it's mainly a matter of like those characters debuting from a time where the engine was janky and the sure. graphics had that chunky quality. Oh, absolutely. I think that, like you know, sure. There, there's also there, there's maybe move set problems. Like maybe this is why Drobin feels like like a clunky design because you know he doesn't have that much to work with. But right. I just feel like you could you could copy paste Drobin from Deadly Alliance as is in a new game. Flesh out his moveset a little bit. Oh, Not for change sure. very much in the way of design, and he'd be good. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of my that's just kind of my point is like they didn't get they didn't get a fair shake. They were introduced in, like you said, janky games where the 3D gameplay was not, I mean, nobody looked the best in the 3D gameplay. Like I mean, yeah, there were some exceptions and there were some you know, ones that managed to escape it unscathed. But like, if you took a lot of the characters that were introduced in trilogy and introduced them in the 3D era setting, I feel like they would struggle just as much. And my, that's kind of my point is like, if you give these characters a modern rebranding and just kind of give them a, a a fresh coat of paint, so to speak, and then some gameplay love and give them all the attention that characters get these days in a 2D setting. There is no reason why half of them, at the very least, couldn't, you know, knock it out of the park and really gain a solid foundation of a fan base. And that, in my opinion, like you would think logistically, that would make all the sense in the world to do. Like, why not? Why not take a character like a Sue Howe that they look at as a joke, but then bring him back and take a character that they think is one of their worst characters and then knock them up to maybe like a B tier character. Why not do that? Why not take 
your F tiers, your D tiers, and then try and bring them to C or B or A tier. There's why keep introducing new characters? They can't possibly think these characters are unsalvageable. I that's that's the thing that has always been strange to me is like the the whole mentality of like competitive gameplay is to take the characters that are low tier and then give them buffs so that way they you know they they make it in a higher tier. So do the same thing with your characters that you look at as being low in popularity or less than. So yeah, that, I mean, I think we're all on the same page in that regard. That's yeah, just yeah, kind of I mean, that's just completely. That's my point. Like uh, the the 3D, you know, the gameplay in the 3D era, it's it's not just the new characters. Like the 3D era gameplay wise absolutely fucking ruined Johnny Cage, Sonya Jackson, Raiden. Like they were nothing like how they should be moves wise and yet nobody uh you know says fuck that leave them out of the next game right you know and you know striker the point i was making is that for like 15 years from the moment he was created until mk9 striker was a joke everybody hated him and yet they proved that it doesn't take much to rehabilitate a character and take someone who's like the maximum amount of uncool and bring them up to the same level as everybody else. I think you could say a similar thing with Bo Raicho. I mean, obviously, yeah. Bo Raicho yeah. had yeah. his like, they... haters, and I think a lot of those probably got kind of their mind changed a bit. Maybe not so much on, like, the, the puking and the farting, but in terms of, like, his design and his gameplay, I think a lot of people changed their minds. Yeah, he's he's more grounded. Like, he, 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 he looks even more of a part of, like the kung fu master that, that he that he ever did but he's still got some of like the stuff that he brought in from the 3d era and with some extra stuff to boot like some excellent d- gameplay design mechanics the power-ups with uh the breath the fire breath and whatnot they they th- it's like once a game they roll the dice and they just select one person one potential representative that they that they like that they know that people like maybe i, I, I don't know yeah yeah, they only ever do it one character at a time. In 9, they fixed Striker. In X, they fixed Bo Raicho. And in 11, they fixed Fujin. And then they yeah. don't try with anybody else. Well, in, in 9, they also gave Kenshi another shot. Yeah, but Kenshi was already good. It was already good, and they knew people liked him, so they felt that it was they a really, they didn't. They didn't give anything new to Kenshi except for the overhead drop, which made him one of the most broken characters in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Love MK9 Kenshi. <laughs> I feel, I feel like his and Bo's like presence does say that they're willing to take the chance, that they don't look at the entire 3D era, like a lot of us think they do, as this kind of cursed wasteland. I'm just saying. Just, I, think, doing... I, think that, I think that they pick their battles with them a little bit too carefully. Yeah, yeah. Well. instead of doing only one character to rehabilitate at the time, they, they should, should do, do like, five. like five or six. Yeah, yeah. it's it can't possibly be that much effort. I'm. I mean, not that we're getting making into, anybody else. Yeah, not that we're getting into like MK12, but I, based on his comment about they plan to fix that perception of them hating the 3D era. Like, in my opinion, they got to do at least five. I mean, that. Yeah, but I mean, we could go down that road. But yeah, and and if they're if he's gonna actually live up to that statement, they got to at least take. They got to do the Bo Raicho, you know, treatment with five other characters that we have yet to receive. I'll, I'll be happy it when if I they, see it. I'll be happy yeah. <laughs> if they roll the dice on three characters, you know? A, a step up here and there from what we're used to seeing. Not just Frost, not just Bo, not just Kenshi or Striker. Three characters. And while I'll wish for more, I'll be happy with at least three. 
Kira, Cobra, Draman, whatever. Just give him a shot. That's all I ask. I think it would be, no, it would be nice if, if just to prove a point, they picked the really low tier. Like, yeah, I think Darius you got at least Dairu, one of them. Cobra and Kira, somebody people are actually not asking for back, and they made them cool. Yeah, I, if, if it was up to me, I mean, that's you do at least one of them per game to, like I, I was mentioning before, to raise them up in a tier. Like, if you if you are only as strong as your weakest link, you know, raise all all like rising tides raise all ships whatever the hell that statement is it's like why not bring up the bottom of the barrel as they see it or even as fan popularity wise bring it up so that way across the board the entire mortal Kombat roster history looks stronger because of it but anyways armageddon yeah, yeah. so so in, in a nutshell when i when i look back and i think of armageddon i don't think of a bad game i think of the things that I really loved and bring forward to me as positive memories about Armageddon are, first of all, uh, the conquest mode. I loved the, the beat-em-up mechanics. I loved wandering around as Taven and actually being able to, like, do combos to, to mooks and stuff. Like, I think that is the better of the two conquest modes between it and Deception. Because, like I said in our, in our last episode... Uh, when we were, you know, reminiscing about DA and Deception, I was like, look, the idea of the open world running around as Shujinko was very creative and interesting, but the execution was so empty for me. Like, mm -hmm. the, the outworld map doesn't have enough, you know, landmarks and famous places. You can't really interact much with anyone. Like, you can swing a punch and either knock a person out or they'll block it and throw a punch back at you. And it's like, why is this old grandma a better martial artist than Shujinko? <laughs> World of Mortal Kombat is a wide and mysterious place. You shouldn't be surprised. I he, uh, you know, he has learned every single move that Bo Raicho, Sub-Zero, etc. know. There's always still, someone better. This is he's Outworld. He's still getting punked out. <laughs> This is Outworld. You don't fuck with strangers in Outworld. <laughs> you only caught Blanche by surprise that one time. She's a gangster. Alright, it's just, I, I like uh, having a proper, you know, like, Deception Conquest is very similar to the Eleven Crypt. You're just running around and opening chests, and you can talk to some people. Yeah. And that's it. That's the whole mode. Uh, Armageddon Conquest is an actual video game. Yeah, it's more like Shaolin Monks. I'm sure they <laughs> yes, shared it's a, some it's of the It's a game stuff. you can play. You can fight opponents. <laughs> it felt a little bit primitive, but I... But yeah, it was definitely more fluid than Deceptions it's, was. It's Absolutely. obvious that because Shaolin Monks had come out and been so successful, they wanted to try to squeeze a version of Shaolin Monks into a mainline MK. Right. And they had, you know, there's only so much of it you can do. And even so, I'll still take it because I had fun. You know, it was enjoyable to me and I enjoyed getting little bits and pieces of story here, going in there, going to like the Lin Kuei Temple yeah. and seeing Sub-Zero fight Noob Saibot for the first time in any Mortal Kombat game 
with the context of him knowing that he's his brother. Like, that has never been seen before until Armageddon. I was you know, so happy with that, that moment, and, like, and I was like, Smoke's gonna get that too, right? He's gonna talk to his buddy. Hmm? No, hmm? no. You, you know what? You know what? Uh, <laughs> after after Taven beat up Smoke, Smoke teleported away, and the next time we see Smoke, he's on the, he's good, guy the good guy side in the, in the opening cutscene. So clearly, Taven punched the programming out of him. And he finally has his free will back. <laughs> this is I, I agree. This is no, real. This is real lore. Thank you, Taven. You deserve another shot too. That's, like, yeah, I'm not that's... joking. That's the conclusion I came to as well. I was like, whatever happened after that, ultimately, Smoke made some switch in between that teleport and the pyramid. That was always the conclusion I came to. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And he got his free will back. You know what? They, they they hit him so hard in MK3 that he shut down, and he and he languished in Khan's dungeons for how many years? Then they then, then Noob finds him, reboots him, rewires him, makes him loyal. Then someone hits him again and knocks his programming back into place. He's a broken toaster oven. <laughs> and you know what? Also, he's, like, he's the Millennium Falcon. You hit it to turn it on and off. Yeah, yeah. When the machine doesn't work, smack it. <laughs> Uh, and, and we also that it also follows that at some point off screen, Natara was like, you know what, fuck smoke. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I remember like that. That's the only time you see him in the Armageddon intro. Like, he's fighting Natara for some yeah. reason. For some reason, yeah. I don't even know why Natara is on the bad guy side. She's not a villain. I know why she's there. It's because well, they yeah. needed someone else on the bad guy's side. That's right, all. right. She looks like a monster, so let's put her on the monster side. Ooh, vampires are automatically evil. They drink blood. Fuck you. <laughs> a Balmer is a mask, and he's a very scary man. He's evil. It's the same logic that they cast the bad guy side in the 2021 movie with. Pick all the ones who look like monsters. It's so stupid. But, but, Armageddon. Um... I appreciate I I can never express in words how much I appreciate John Vogel after the game is already out. You know, he's probably not even getting paid to write those right. bios for the website. He's doing it in his own time. And he squeezed out, I don't know, like 12 of them, but each one sort of covers multiple characters. Like Shang Tsung's bio tells you why Raiden is dark. <laughs> it really is like they wanted to add so much more for a story mode or something, and they just couldn't do it. I I appreciate knowing, hey, you thought Ashra was a good guy, but actually her sword is evil and brainwashing her. I like knowing that now. I like knowing what, you know, what Serena's been up to since mythologies, because they won't fucking tell us. Finally, Serena gets a bio in something. So yeah, when I remember Armageddon, those are the things I remember. I remember the good things. I do not have, you know, there there are people who are like, if I was if I was going back to the old timeline, I'd make MK1 through Deception, and I'd stop there and make a new game. Armageddon wouldn't happen. And I'm like. You can't not have Dagon. If you don't have Dagon, then the Red Dragon Gang doesn't have a backstory. Fuck the Red Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like, I like, I like Dagon. I like his stupid fucking 
He looks like Lex Luthor wearing Sephiroth's costume. <laughs> I like Dagon. I don't know why. I couldn't explain it to anyone. It's. It reminds me of Tom Waits for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it's the jaw. I think it's the jaw. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Taven looks like Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah, Taven looks like Ben Affleck. Dagon kind of gives me the vibes of, you know, like a big old evil looking like mayor or governor somewhere, like highly involved in politics that has like a goatee and he's like, he's bald and he's very intimidating. I cannot remember this guy's name. Somebody somewhere will remember, remember what the hell I'm talking about. Anyways, he looks like a villain. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, he is one, so he yeah. fits. Um, I'll jump in then and give my thoughts on Armageddon. Um, so one badass intro. That's like when I think of Armageddon, I immediately think of that. I loved that intro cinematic. And I mean, all the 3D era had great intro cinematics. I love those. Um, oh my God, man. The, the, the moment where like they're zooming across to like this empty wasteland and Kintaro yeah. out of all people is the first thing you see. That was a treat for me. That was yeah. a huge treat. It's always yeah. neat when they remember Kentaro exists, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, like, I, I appreciated that they'd put these intros out, like, I don't know, weeks before the game came out or like a month before the game came out. So I, I just remember watching that one over and over, like I did with the Deception and the Deadly Alliance and all that. Um, I, I love that kind of stuff. So that's one thing that I look back on very fondly. I appreciated the creative character. I did not appreciate the creative fatality. Granted, I mean, how are you going to supply fatalities for 63 characters on a roster, let alone like two of them? But yeah, the creative fatality was pretty meh. When you're like having to put in combos to tear out a brain, then you're tearing off an arm and then you're tearing off a leg and then you could fuck it up. So then they just fall over. I don't know. Like that was so lackluster. I... I'm glad that was a one-and-done type of experience, and they never, ever, ever tried to do something like that again. Like, if you're going to do a creative fatality thing, it needs to be, like, a creative yeah. character where... Or, like, or like the WWE games. Like, you go in and create it into, like, a creator itself, and then you can go and use it with that character when it comes time. Yeah. Like, you put together the animation yourself, basically. Like, I think it was actually a matter of space concerns or something. Sure. Because, yeah, it's just, if, if, like... 63 characters even if you take out like the the concern of like what are we going to do for created characters you have 63 people two fatalities per person means you have to design 126 finishing moves that's Granted, not they gonna reused. i mean they could have reused for all the characters that we were in deadly yeah, alliance yeah, and deception but i mean i think yeah. that that was something that i feel like they maybe tried to and went like, look at how much memory this is taking. Yeah, and 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 they and they did just this. They sat down, they calculated. It's like, no, this is not actually possible. So, creative fatality was probably like a quick, dirty solution that worked for everyone. Right. It was the it was literally the best they could do, and it's unfortunate. It is As... when I when I remember like, what is the thing I like the least about Armageddon? What is the lowest point of that game? I think of creative fatality. Yeah. It just it was not fun like after you've tried it once or twice you start to understand how it works and you're like oh this 
this is something that sounded cool, but it's not cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, like uh, like Shad mentioned, there's some good sound, like there's some uh, good stage tracks on there. I think I think Meteor Storm was that what it's called? Meteor Meteor Storm. Yeah, Meteor yeah. Storm. The hell that one track sticks. Is... Yeah, that Meteor Storm that... sticks out to me as like my favorite on there. I love that track. The Hell track, that version of Hell, like it's actually my favorite, probably Netherrealm theme of most of the games, which sick riffs all the way through. It just it sounds like something off a Dio album. I don't know. It's great. Right. And I love the lum and I love the lumber mill. The lumber mill is fantastic. Right. And then you know, just I mean, this is a small appreciation, but this is something I've noticed is just kind of my, the way my mind works is I loved how they organized the select screen by like themes like they put all the ninjas at the top then they did yeah. like the female characters in their own group the bosses in their own group like stuff like that i i find interesting like that kind of sticks out to me um as a, as a roster type of guy and then obviously i love the aspect of having everyone is here i mean that is really cool i mean if there's any reason to play armageddon it's for that reason alone is just to be able to go back and know i can choose any of these 63 characters and it may not be the most like fun competitive or ideal mk experience because like most of us i would have to imagine if not all uh prefer the 2d style of gameplay but like in terms of just being able to select that many characters was super awesome and like things like motor combat i did not like just because to me it's not that i don't like the concept of it i love mario kart but it was just so half-assed. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean like, that insultingly. It was no, just, like, you can tell it was very rushed and very, like, a super add-on to the game that, like, I, I, I would love something like that if it was actually fully fleshed out and played as well as Mario Kart. But when the things, like, when all the concepts are just, like, the Wish.com version of Mario Kart, like, then it's just, <laughs> like, it, it did not, it was not fun. Like to me, it, like it's one of those things you try once just to check it out when you're bullshitting with friends. You maybe try it once or twice, and then after 20 minutes of it, you're like, okay, let's actually just go play the rest of the game instead. And I and I wouldn't say the same about puzzle combat or like chess combat. I think those were done much better, especially puzzle combat. I was a big fan of that, but yeah, motor combat to me felt the most. I think it's because it was the most ambitious in terms of like size and scale of everything especially what they're trying to like, you know, model after Mario Kart, but yeah, it just nah, it did not I didn't I didn't care for that at all. Conquest was awesome, like Razor mentioned, it was a much more enhanced version of the Deception one in terms of just like actually letting you go and do a beat 'em up, you know, side mission like side like story of the game. Um and I I would imagine if we were to get another conquest, that's that's what it's got to be. It's got to be like a Shaolin Monk's experience in in the game itself. You can't. Nobody wants. It's kind of like the crypt in MK11. Nobody wants to just run around and punch something or break things and open chests. Like that's just a nice, fun way. As cool as the aesthetics in the crypt were, it was just a. Yeah, it was just a this fancy dressing for what was ultimately not like a very fun gameplay experience um so yeah I, I i did appreciate that they actually tried to make the conquest mode in armageddon what it was so that was cool 
not getting character endings was pretty sour. Uh, and man, I used to be like such a, like somebody that was always wanting the FMV movie endings from like MK4 and gold back. And we never got them. It was always the comic style endings in the 3d era. And you know what we got now, granted they can tell more story with it. And it's obviously way less ambitious of a project when you're not having to do full on cinematics for it. And we get story mode and everything else these days. So more than makes up for it, but yeah, man, to get what do they call them katas? Is that what they're called? Katas? Katas, yeah. Yeah. Like, eh. <laughs> like that was pretty disappointing on top of like the no bios and stuff. So that was pretty uh meh. And yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else that sticks out to me on Armageddon. I like the air combat I wasn't into. Um I really like I, I mentioned, getting all the characters back was cool. Like getting Sector for the first time since what MK Gold. I mean, obviously he was in like tournament edition on the handheld, but who gives a fuck about that? So yeah, getting yeah, Sector but... back was pretty awesome after sitting terms, out several in, in games. In terms of like roster, it, like having Reiko and Sector back, and yeah, them giving the them giving both chameleons another shot. Them giving Jarek another shot and having right. Fujin back and making meet his own character even. There was a lot to actually like there. I remember spending a lot of time with those guys in particular and Shinnok yeah. too. And to some degree, Two-Legged Mataro for all I could stomach him. <laughs> and, and Serena. And Serena. But yeah, I mean... So all of my fond memories are pretty much those kind of things. Like the just having all the characters and just the scale of everything was pretty cool. And getting stages and all that fun stuff back. Um, I mean, there's something to be said about the all-in gimmick like Trilogy was. It's It has its own little special fun factor to it. It doesn't have to be the most fun game or well-balanced game or anything. But when you know just all those options are there, it's something special. So it may not be the ideal game in in the 3d era i think most of us hold deception as the highest like most highly regarded but in terms of like armageddon it's a, is its own little special nostalgia factor so that's kind of what what i think of armageddon that's kind of where i like to leave it um anything beyond that though yeah i can't i can't think of anything else really to say about armageddon specifically you so. know what though you, you you mentioned balance and if I'm not mistaken, I might be off base here. Again, Temp would Temp could probably correct me. I think that out of the three three D era games, if I'm not mistaken, Armageddon is the one that has the most balance or is the most competitively viable in that kind of Marvel versus Capcom two way where like maybe six people are useful. Temp, any truth to that? Yeah, I would say it's the most competitive. I don't know if I would say it's the most balanced, but um the most balanced game is debatably Deadly Alliance just because neutral is so strong. So no matter how good your tools are, they're useless if you can't walk up to the person and punch them, right? So you could make a case Deadly Alliance is the most balanced, but in terms of, like, tournament competition, I would give it to Armageddon. So I'd say you are correct, yes. Okay. Because I remember there being something of a scene for it in those rudimentary early days when people played each other online on PS2, like Brave Souls. Deadly Alliance also has the virtual fighter problem, where because five people play it, they can say whatever they want, and no one can disagree with them. <laughs> um, and I say virtual fighter, not because, I mean, there's a ton of virtual fighter players, don't get me wrong, but the problem is, like, they're all, like, old men who 
we like pay child support. So like people will say, oh, Virtual Fire is the hardest fighting game. Or they're like, oh man, Virtual Fire takes three months to learn one character. So they'll say things that have hints of truth in them and almost no one can prove them wrong because we're all fucking O-Niners who got good at games in Street Fighter 4, right? Um, so yeah, like Virtual Fighter probably is very difficult, don't get me wrong. But Deadly Alliance has a similar phenomenon where people could make grandiose claims um, and ignore nuance. Like, yes, Virtual Fighter is does take three months to learn a character if you learn them on like a Korean tournament level. That, but that's true of everything. That's, that's true of like MK Deception Smoke. Like, it's just that's true of all things. Like, you know, guitar is the hardest thing on earth if you have to be as good as Steve Vai, right? So it's just, um, that's how I feel about Deadly Alliance. I, no one really knows for sure. We're, when it, with Deadly Alliance, it, it is the most balanced fighting game if you're taking Rio's word for it. But the fact is, Rio is the only person on earth who has delved that far. When we have two people on Earth who have delved that far, then we can actually have a conversation. But right now, I would say it is Armageddon. You know, it doesn't well, matter if something's like... balanced if it sucks. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Armageddon has options in a way that Deadly Alliance never will. I almost thought that Virtual Fighter had like six or seven different Pi Mei type figures sprinkled across Korea, like Japan, and like parts of East Asia, each of whom have spent, like, lifetimes mastering a single character. That's not been yeah, led to believe that the journey as a virtual Fighter fan is. Pick a character, and then you stick with it for life. There's no going back. Know, that's what the virtual Fighter cats don't think about, is that the best gameplay in the world still has to deal with exploits. In Marvel 3, no one thought anything about Rocket Raccoon, and then someone from Japan came over to the States and fucked up everyone with Log Assist, all right? And then he said, I'm retiring. And he never played the game ever again. And the entire US scene was salty as fuck. Does that mean Rocket Raccoon is, is like this top tier character? No, it just means that you can't know everything, right? And that quality gameplay does not mean that you can't get very far by understanding the game and using exploitive techniques, right? And just, honestly, it doesn't matter how good you are at a fighting game. If your opponent knows what you're going to do, you're usually dead. So that's what I would say to the Virtual Fighter crowd. I don't mean to, to downplay them or say their game isn't actually super fucking hard. I'm just saying, for a long time, they've been able to say whatever they want, and no one's been able to prove them wrong because no one knows anything about Virtual Fighter. I guess it's, is it my turn? I, I don't know if we're. I think it is your turn. Yeah, I do want. I, I want to say one last thing, and sure, that's yeah. and this is just more of like an overall sentiment. Is I hope we don't see Creative Fighter ever again. And it's not like I said. I liked it in Armageddon, but here's my problem with it: is as somebody that's played like I don't know a lot of the, like the WWE games online and stuff. When you introduce a Creative Fighter, you're never gonna see. Well, not never, but. You're going to constantly see the most horrid creations ever of just the most obnoxious <laughs> shit. And it's going to be, you're going to be fighting Homer Simpson online. You will lose all sense. You will, you will look, I once got screwed out of a match when Homer Simpson refereed one of my matches. And okay, this is, this is bad memories. <laughs> but the point is that I'm getting at is when you open up Pandora's box to, to players, it's going to be rare that you actually see the characters that you're playing Mortal Kombat to see. You think guest characters are bad? It's going to be worse when you're fighting. Like, think like Soul Calibur, right? Where people I are saw what happened last time, man. I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid, impressed, and a little bit inspired. If I'm being honest, I I agree completely, but for opposite reasons, sort of. Like, here's the thing: as as someone who also plays the WWE games, is the WWE games have the most robust character creation options in all of gaming, and right. I am constantly aggravated when I play like an MMO or a Skyrim, any game where the whole premise is you get to create your character right. and then it's like you can choose from one of three goatees. Sure. What the <laughs> fuck is the point? Like, why even have... If you're not... If you're going to have a game that has a character creator mode and your whole game isn't based around the customization options, then why did you have a character creator mode? Yeah. It's That's the thing, ass. like, when I play the WWE games, I'm playing them to make entire rosters of OC do donut steals. I don't give a fuck about playing <laughs> as, like, Roman Reigns. I'm not gonna sure, use sure. him. I'm gonna use fucking, I'm gonna make everybody from ECW. I'm gonna play oh, yeah. Sandman versus Tommy Dreamer. That's what I do. Oh, I do that too, and I, and I, usually my friends, me and my friends will make ourselves, basically, and then, yeah, we'll make all characters from the past. I guess yeah. my main point is, like, for a Mortal Kombat game, yeah, the, like, the if I go online like, or whatever, I don't want to see some Joe Blow's horrid you, creation you don't to ruin see my life, the, basically. The Soul Calibur, I made a giant banana with a penis <laughs> yeah i don't want to see that i just want to i just want to be sub-zero fighting scorpion or what like i want to see the characters that i'm here for as much as possible and i feel like you really run the risk of ruining that if you build in a, a character creator so that's the only reason i personally yeah, would yeah. not I'm, I'm like saying, to see my it point is like if you're gonna have a character creator have that be the main point of the game and that can never be the main point of a Mortal Kombat game. The main point of a Mortal Kombat game has to be Mortal Kombat and the Mortal Kombat characters and their story. And they just, they're never going to have the resources to devote to making a game entirely about uh, making your own characters and then fighting sure. them in the Mortal Kombat engine. Like, they have to devote too much to the actual roster. So it's always going to be a half-assed character creator, so just don't have one at all. Do you have any idea whatsoever just how many ninjas made entirely out of cocks <laughs> you're arguing against the yes. possibilities jerry <laughs> gold jerry someone just made a cube like you load up the match and you were just fighting <laughs> a cube imagine is the is the hitbox a cube i bet it's not <laughs> no one knows no one has any clue <laughs> not even the cube knows has anyone beaten the cube that's actively uh, cheating <laughs> cube is banned now i think they uh redid costumes so you couldn't have dicks or cubes <laughs> basically if you put in character creator you're gonna be you're gonna be playing cards against humanity online it's gonna be the eagle in a box you know that type of thing it took two years, but you can finally turn that off. Now, whenever I, I play Soul Calibur, I can't see any of my opponent's customs. First they so... came for our dicks, then they <laughs> came for our cubes. <laughs> I said nothing. <laughs> because I was not a cube. But yeah, so, yeah. that's just my little... Uh, I just wanted to weigh in that, weigh in on that, because usually that, that's not a topic that comes up very often. Yeah, Anyways, Tim, I think ahead. we're done with creative characters. I love the idea of them one day maybe getting right a create a costume mode for the existing characters. But uh, it, the the times we live in now, 
with the the microtransaction options and the the mobile game currencies and the randomness to keep you logging in every day let's throw that idea out too until until the gaming industry is mature enough to pull it off without yeah. exploiting people i agree sorry i just put the cube in the chat so now i'm just seeing that cube that is not what it's i was not expecting just a cube it's a rainbow colored cube yeah so let's say that's not at all what <laughs> i was expecting a mod or a I was, it's real i was thinking like a gooey cube or like an ice cube i was not expecting just very no, no, it's, angled it's six sides it's just a block yeah that's Figure like a ps2 where... cube in yeah South that Carolina. is the cube you I, i'm actually the cube I'm reading it. I'm reading about it right now. There's an actual character model in there, but like the cube graphics, each side of it obscures yeah, yeah, everything the guy's doing. You can't doing. see the human body that's going to attack you, so it's a fucking cheating. <laughs> this picture is so like accurate because Keelik is doing the absolute right thing right now. That's exactly <laughs> it's just blocking the cube. Yeah, there's no defense against the cube. This but you're definitely right. Doses off. I, I I think a custom like a character um, customization and all that type of stuff is absolutely like I think back to like Tekken, you know, being able to like switch up there. I think it was like Tekken six, I want to say, or four maybe back when it was like Raven and stuff, and you could put on like the Raiden hat on him and stuff, and like I was like, oh, that was so badass that they did something like that. that but never then, went away. They still have customs to this day. Even right, seven. right, and that kind of customs is great that's the kind of customs we all want to see we don't want to see it like just absolutely used as an excuse to keep you playing and grinding like razor was alluding to so i i, I agree with you i think for now the best the most the most safest and respect respecting our time i think is just to let's not handle that until they're ready to handle that in a more you know uh kind way and instead let's just go back to Go back to alternate attires, but anyway. And back in SoCal, they always have like thirst options for their customs anyway. Like it's just you could put someone in like a Santa outfit for no reason. <laughs> Everyone can be a schoolgirl, so yeah, yeah, sure. But um, Armageddon really the I was very excited for Armageddon. Not not as excited as Deception because Deception was just so many characters were coming back and having unique designs for the first time. So nothing will ever match that in the history of Mortal Kombat. But the reason I was so excited for Armageddon was because Smoke was finally going to be his own character. And that was such a big deal to me, right? So, um, yeah, I, I got the game. Johnny Cage and Goro were on the, the steel case. I went home, and I played as Smoke. Probably put, like, 20 hours at least into that character, like, the first month. Uh, I enjoyed every moment of it. I, I enjoyed the custom combos, I, although to really see if I liked that or not, I would need to watch the Ketchup and Mustard stuff and see what they were doing and just kind of see where the ceiling is. On, on how viable that stuff was. Um, and on paper, I would prefer the stance tra transitions from Deception Deadly Alliance if there was some sort of like execution barrier, but there wasn't. It was just a memorization game. You memorize the inputs, you cue the inputs, and you do a three stance combo. And that just got so boring. So the fact that I could do something creative was a lot more fun to me. But on paper, if there was like a two frame link between stance changes, I would have preferred that, right? Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, it's kind of the first game where I really thought, like, you know, they probably could do something cool with Chameleon with a C if they wanted to. And I was happy to have him there. I don't like meat. I'll never like meat. Whatever. Um, I thought the story mode was okay. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, so, okay, so if meat was MK4 meat, I'd be fine with it. But MK Armageddon meat was just way too moist. So I can't do I, that, right? I, 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 
the moisture is half the point. If he gives you a hug, I, it's I'm with that. <laughs> no, I can't. Smokeman feels the same way. Smokeman loves moist meat. Here, here's the thing: is I, I agree that MK4 was better in the in the sense that he was more bony, but the fact that he's constantly like drippings with goo is part of the appeal to me as well. It's just way too Clive Barker for me. I can't do it, man. Um, so You'd yeah, hate, that wasn't... You, you you would hate my optimized meat. You would probably. Hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I just I can't, I can't remember it. who said it, but somebody said if Pinhead makes it into MK12 as a guest character, there's a good chance Meat should be like some sort of like he escaped hell, like one of the you know, like uh Frank in the original one. Like I think that's a good opportunity. <laughs> Working Meat. I, I would is, eat that bullet in order to get some form of Meat playable in a game. I do it. Yeah, I'll t I'll take a guest character if we also get Meat. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like, that's it. That's a good trade off. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking conversation for the day who would i actually fucking accept as a guest if the trade-off was i'd get someone else i really loved in exchange oh man that, that's a good idea oh, that's a good idea for a topic we should do sometime yes anyways temp so, you're you were going I, I enjoyed armageddon quite a bit um i like the conquest mode i, I don't think there's anything more i really need to say on that uh, I liked Fat Blaze just because I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I kind of treat him the same way I treat the whole game. I just kind of look for the good and enjoy it for what it is. Because I wanted like a deception-level storytelling. And once I realized we weren't getting that, things like Fat Blaze don't seem like such a big deal anymore. So I just kind of had fun with it. Um, and, and on top of that, too, uh, it, the, the fighting game, any fighting game, not just Mortal Kombat, any fighting game is only as good as this roster, right? So to have that many options was a really big deal. Um, I'm okay with Striker. I'm okay with that redesign. I thought that... It, I, I still prefer the classic Striker, but I think he looks okay. I like the blue and the black and how it kind of works together. I, I, I would much prefer classic Striker over Brian Singer's X-Men Striker. The time, man. Like, I think it's all game. about that his, striker. His but old like, costume would be ideal if he wasn't wearing a balaclava and I could see his fucking face. Well, that, that was kind of weird. The alt costume felt kind of out of nowhere. Really, what they should have done is made the alt costume his classic, and I don't know why they didn't do that. Well, the alt costume um, at least actually looks like, like a cop in SWAT gear. He's wearing the primary his... is explicitly a fantasy outfit. I'm not joking when I compare it to Brian Singer's X-Men. That's exactly what it is. He's wearing his it has MK3 outfit and one of the wallpapers. Do. What happened, yeah. I wonder? There was, there was a wallpaper, there, and there's concept art in the crypt that shows that they designed that there was a point where he was going to have the classic MK3 outfit. But uh, yeah. but we got the X-Men instead. Which, what oh, does that have to do with being a cop? Uh, I, you could rationalize if you tried hard enough, but I just think, like, I like that he looks older. I kind of like the uh, sort of like the the firing range like glasses. I think that looks good. Um, I like I said. I think the blue and the black looks nice. So I like that they mixed it up. I think one of the real disappointing things about like Street Fighter Six is that some characters they didn't even try to redesign. Like Jury, Jury literally looks like she they copy and pasted her into the current engine from Street Fighter Four. So that's the kind of stuff I don't like. But but like I do agree, it should have been an all costume. That's really where I think they messed up. But that's fine, though. Like, as far as the whole game goes, you have so many options. And that's really what fighting games are about to me. 
it's that's why the roster is so important. You you boot up the game, you choose your character, then you choose how you want to play that character, and then you choose your opponents. You can fight strangers, but you don't have to. I was just playing Guilty Gear today. I'm thinking like this is awesome. It's so crazy that we have good netcoding Guilty Gear Xer now, right? So yeah, not a whole lot to say. I think the last thing I'll mention is the bosses. Uh, the fact that you can play Goro or Kentaro is really nice. And if you want to play those characters of this day, that's really your only option is Armageddon. So historically, I'm glad we have something like that. Because you're not going to play Onaga ever again, probably, unless you put up Armageddon. That's just the way it is. So, um, and, oh, well, actually, even worse, like Moloch, for sure, you're never going to play again. Onaga, maybe. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, th I think they'll do no Onaga. Onaga's as a boss character in a series that has so few bosses feels inevitable. But and yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see Moloch again. He was received relatively well, too. People remember Onaga pretty fondly. I think it's a matter of time. He's a boss character done well. His size, I think, really does him a lot of favors. Yeah, too. I've never heard anyone actively say they don't like Onaga, you know? Blaze is another story. Blaze is weird. Oh, you yeah, know? Blaze, well, Blaze is in the pile of rock lava guys that they just kept doing for a while and it like him and dark con and corrupted shinnok he's, and people are just tired of it he's actually got a reason to be on fire though it's in the namesake and yeah, i'm gonna give blaze that this. doesn't he's make got... the design more uh, no it, it doesn't like less remember, generic remember i'm the first guy that said he hated fat blaze it's just it's about how you do it <laughs> see that's the thing. i do want to give mean... i do want to give blaze this i did like his input into the storyline and that giant role that they gave him. It was another instance of them elevating like this rumored or mysterious background character in MK and putting them front and center stage. And I always loved that. I didn't care so much for the execution, but he's got these good moments towards the end of the conquest mode where he comes out and he's like, listen, you two, you fucked up. This is the way it's going to be. I'm putting you back on the path. Now you fight me in Mortal Kombat. And it was like one of those last times where like, where I kind of felt hearing the phrase fight me in Mortal Kombat was a thing that sent shivers up my spine, you know? It was a That's good moment. Like him. It's because he's, he's not evil. He's just a guy doing his job. Yeah, he's acting according to his programming. It's, yeah, he's, he's interesting. I like him. I would give him another shot. Yeah, bring him. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's, he's a priority for me, but yeah, I'd love to see him back. Like, fat and all, bring him on. Yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't a big fan of Fat Onaga. <laughs> like, conceptually, I like Onaga. Like, design-wise, he's a little... He's a little, he's a little bulky. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, like, if they, if they brought him back, I'm sure he would be badass and awesome, but like as is when he's like walking out in Deception and when you fight him, like the er er, I don't know. I just want a little. I just want a little like, more. I it's guess. it's tough to tell. Like I'm looking at the Armageddon wallpaper with the entire roster on it right now, and he looks to be about similar in build to like Kintaro and Goro. So, you know, big, but not, like, bulky and massive. He's, he's another yeah. acid casualty of, like, the, the blocky models of the 3D era. In my I think opinion, he'd come along a little bit more streamlined if they, if they reintroduced him. Right. So, in my opinion, the, the whole appeal of Onaga 
is traceable back to the Deception opening and the way he tanks the Dragon Ball Z blasts. Right. So I think Onaga should always be visually presented the same way that Dragon Ball presents Broly. Yeah, that, that would, I mean, I, yeah. I'll take either, honestly. I just, I would love to see Onaga again in general, but... I, the reason why Onaga, I Onaga should be treated like the, the strongest and the biggest, you know, the big green Broly. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, it's not like a pure hatred or anything. Like, I, I see a lot of potential in Onaga, and I would love to have him back just because, I mean, we've had every other boss back. Bring Onaga back, give him the Shinnok treatment, give him... You know, the modern treatment of, like, a, a nice, fresh redesign, um, so on and so forth. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, I don't know. Like, he's just, he's big. I, I don't know where, where I'm going with this, but I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Well, I, I'll wrap up then. Really, the big thing about Armageddon is that it has a very bad reputation a lot of people just say that game is trash and they, they kind of leave it at that. I, I think we need to get past that because if you look at the package and all the options and all the cool stuff you can do and all the characters you can explore and all the competitive strategies, even if there is like a narrow like competitive number of characters you can use, right. there is a lot there, right? Um, I, I exclude create a character from that just because I don't think any of the create, create a character options look good in the PS2 era. They're, they're barely passable in Soul Calibur 3, but in Armageddon, no, nothing looks good to me. So I'll, I'll take that out of there. But um, yeah, just, I mean, and, and even as a fan, just being able to play as Smoke solo is was such a big deal to me back then. Oh yeah, it was, it, it felt def, it felt huge, but they still didn't give him a fucking weapon where everyone on the cast, or most people, had one, and it irked me. Everybody had thing. one style and one hammer. weapon style, and he had two martial arts instead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine with that because I saw what happened to New, but I'm like, we dodged. Yeah, yeah. I you know, I'd rather have uh, fucking what? What were his two styles? It was he like had meat, he had Mitsu, and I think he had Judo. Yeah, Mitsu and Judo instead of Mitsu and a troll hammer. <laughs> <laughs> he stole Judo oh. from Kenshiro. But you know what, though? Um, I mean, they could have... I mean, Cyrax and Sector were both using lightsabers and of sorts, and he was still technically a cyber ninja thing, too. Could have had some sort of smoke blade. I, 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 I'm I, sorry, I'm, I'm reaching here. Yeah. Smoke yeah, blade. you are. <laughs> well, a, a nano sword could work. I'm not against that idea. I think that could have been all right. Yeah, here we go. It's some shit like uh, the dark saber or whatever the fuck. I will say I'm, that I'm fine you know, with what we got. Well, Cyrax's like lightsaber seemed so shitty after Sector was shown to be a dual wielder. I'm like, that is so much cooler. Yeah. And the whole idea of Sector overcompensating fits so much. Um, well, I so, mean, yeah. if if the pattern were to follow where uh, Cyrax was introduced first as lightsaber guy and then Sector comes in dual wielding, the next step is Smoke would have the Darth Maul one. Yes. Or he just has well, like a oh, no, I have to think about that. I don't know if I like that or not. That I'll I mean, it'll, on that. 
I kind of like it. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind, I'm, I'm kind of erect right now. I'm enjoying this. Let me. Have I don't know you, if they had. You should I don't know if they had time. the. Uh, I don't know if they had the uh, the mocap data for that because the way uh, Raiden handles his quarter staff, he's. If Smoke had those animations, he'd be putting his hand on the lightsaber blade all the time. Oh, God. <laughs> Smoke should have just wielded a, a like a cigar. Womp womp. Just like damn. Just like put it put it out on people and shit. Also, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Cyrax the first lightsaber wielder in in gold? Yes. Yes. Uh I what did Sector have? I know I, I know think he they has gave a him fucking a gun. gun. <laughs> well, I can't remember because you know the That's weapons were no different way. depending on the no skin. Way. And I know one of Sector's skins had the gun. I don't know if it was his primary or not. There's no way he had a gun. Come on now. Oh, he absolutely had a gun. Johnny Cage also had the gun if you were playing his tuxedo skin. It wow. it functioned just like uh Fujin's crossbow, where it could like shoot diagonal bouncing off the ground and shit. Yes, yes, okay, I'm looking it up. Uh Sector's primary weapon was a laser gun. Alright, okay. Yeah. It's decided we need a new round of Photoshop's Sector with a gun. i want to add one more thing before i close out uh the tower slash evil monastery in armageddon is my favorite mortal Kombat stage of all time it is my favorite stage fatality of all time it's got the most killer instinct fatality like stage fatality i've ever seen in mortal Kombat. um i really really like how they handled that stage i love the fighting on the stairs it looks so good that oh is is that the one where like you just you can just keep on knocking them down that this Endless flight of stairs constantly. That's the Shinnok stage, I think. That's no, the, the, there is a there is a stage that's an endless staircase that's supposed to be inside Shao Kahn's fortress. the The one he's talking about is the MK Two Evil Monastery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I still call it the towers. I like that name better. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the Evil tower. Monastery. I don't think anyone would call but themselves the, the Evil Monastery. The tower. The tower had like, if you spun the camera 180, you were facing like a blown out wall, and you could knock them down a staircase right. to a to a second right. platform. And then that second platform was bordering an open portal, and you could knock them into the portal where they'd be crushed. Yeah. Because it was more that. like a like a black hole gravitational thing. But uh, th- that reminds me, like. One of my pet peeves about Armageddon was there are a couple of stages you unlock uh, as you're playing the game, and those stages, including the MK2 Tower, will not normally show up uh, in arcade mode at all. You can only play there if you select them manually uh, during versus mode. Oh my god, it's the fucking ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 arcade problem all over again. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'll take that few seconds of silence and disgust and disappointment <laughs> as uh, <laughs> we're... that'll be the note we end on. Yes. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. We, we, we were um, we were talking before before we actually got started recording this. I'm like, whether or not we were going to car MK versus DC in addition to these games. But I think it is best and more appropriate that we cover that along with MK9 next time. Because those two eras for me really kind of tie into each other as this whole separate end of one era, beginning of another type type of deal. It was yeah, a transitory the, period. Uh, the Warner Brothers infiltration begins. Yeah. 
so yeah, uh, look forward to that um, as our next uh, whatever we're calling these, the anniversary things. And then as far as this episode goes, thanks everybody well, for tuning in. And hang on, I- hang on, hang on. Sorry, sorry. I got one more thing because we're because like we're all coming into this talking about Armageddon the way we have been over the last hour. You know, accepted faults aside, look at how we're talking about it. It's all we're actually really positively looking back on this game that has been like like we've just said poorly received and has this bad reputation for many 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 years now, but you know, I've always looked at it as having these interesting, shiny, bright points in a sea of muck, and I find a lot of the time when things like that happen, be it like a later period album from your favorite band, or a movie you kind of enjoyed no one else did, and then you kind of shelve it for years, it's just, sometimes things like that have a way of getting critically re-evaluated, the sentences, with the passage of time. Time heals all wounds. It you know, does, is, and I think I think we're looking. I think we're at an era now where hopefully people can or are giving Armageddon a second glance and finding more things to enjoy about it, all flaws intact. There is something I want to say in Armageddon's favor in terms of the like, if if I could go back and you know do MK over, I would stop at Deception and make a different sequel. It it without Armageddon. Fan favorite character Rain has no backstory. Mm. There is no Rain without Argus and Delia, or at least just Argus. <laughs> well, there was, but he was a general. Nah, it was <laughs> ah trilogy. All right, I think we're actually done now, are we? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that covers it. Sorry to interrupt you, BC. No, you're fine. Um. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And if you haven't already, come and join our Discord. It's always in our description. Go check that out because we have a great community. And shout-outs to Rain Reptile for, um, you know, organizing community events. So if, you, if you've been digging, like, the roster stuff we've been doing, like the prediction game or when we did our ideal rosters for MK12, he's been organizing with other people in Discord basically to do it like as a community thing. And then they, you know, have fun getting together and talk, you know, certain nights about that kind of stuff and go through together and like present, you know, much like we did on our episodes. So definitely go join the discord for that kind of stuff. And we have a great community on there talking about all things, mortal Kombat. Um, and then we're all on there as well. So you can come interact with us and yeah, just thanks everybody for tuning in. I, I want to throw in one more thing, uh, to advertise before we end the episode. Uh, if anybody, uh, out there was, uh, you know, wondering if we were serious about actually, you know, keeping up with the patron cast and whether or not you should put your money down. I want to I want to say that within the next week or two, we will be recording another episode of the patron cast. Merck is almost done with our artwork for the next character redesign from the 3D era. So uh, that'll be soon. And uh, you'll get to, you know, see it a week early if you're a patron on the patreon so so uh join the patreon <laughs> give razor your money give me your money yes <laughs> but seriously yeah, thanks everybody that, for smash that like button yes and, so uh, i mean we, you money. know what give us money. Spe- 
Spe- speaking of that, I mean, we've had an influx. I mean, I've been doing a lot of videos and our episode, our podcast episodes have been getting a lot of views lately. So th- obviously there's some hunger for Mortal Kombat talk, be it Mortal Kombat 12 or just whatever. So yes, absolutely. I mean, if you haven't subscribed to us yet, I mean, we have, we've gone up a few hundred in just the last 28 days, according to our metrics on YouTube. Um, so I'm making it a goal to get us to at least 10,000 by MK12. That's a personal goal. We are currently at 5,400 something. Well, I think you can pat yourself on the back for that because nothing says interest like a good dynamic host who's passionate, who creates content on the regular. Yeah. Sit there bitching about the present versus the past. Well, here's the thing. Like I have always said about us is like, you know, because not everybody wants to listen to a podcast. I get that. Not everybody goes to YouTube for like a two and a half hour, three hour show. And there's been people that have complained about that. But then yeah, there's also yeah. people that stay for that. So my thought yeah, process there... was always been like, come for like, you know, if I can get you in the door with a six minute, eight minute video of me just trying to passionately talk about Mortal Kombat. If I can get you in the door, I think you're going to stay for all the other content we do. Like this is where like the real meat and potatoes are. So I there's the thing is we do everything so i mean i i could never i could never be you know on face cam and i'm certainly way too (laughs) long-winded to make an under 10 minute video but i appreciate that there is someone on this channel capable of feeding the algorithm (laughs) yeah yeah the youtube algorithm is a beast i've been trying to learn more about that but anyways belating the point or whatever the hell he's whatever that word is uh it's getting late i can't think anymore but regardless, definitely um, subscribe, but join the Discord. You know, we have a great community of very awesome MK fans, and we're always talking about all aspects of past and future MK um, across the board gameplay and lore and all that good stuff. So I can't stress that enough, you know. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you later, nerds. Care with you well until next time. Take care, everybody.